0: Welcome to the 280th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony and this is a podcast about random things in a world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And, um, I sometimes talk about movies. I sometimes talk about comics. Last week I talked about, I did an off my mind about Mary Jane and should she have superpowers? And I think this week I'm going to go back to a comic because I haven't done a comic in, in actually a few weeks. So extra 30 minutes, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right, so I just wanna full disclosure. The audio might sound a little different this week in parts. Um I'm not gonna be recording this episode like consistently like three hours straight. Most of it's gonna be done in parts, I think. With my mind preoccupied or whatever. I wanna make sure the show keeps going. So I was able to record parts of it and I actually recorded one segment before I'm doing this part, which I know is really weird doing it before the intro, but again, just to, to get this going. So if it sounds a little weird, bear with it. Thanks for your understanding and all that. But um, as far as what is going to be the feature this week, originally, I, th- I think I mentioned last week it was going to be Megan, the movie that, that came out. I did not get a chance to, I'm not going to have a chance to see that, that. So the main feature will be White Noise, which I did see last weekend, last last weekend, uh, the Netflix movie. So that's a very, it's it's very interesting movie. So there's, there's a lot to say about that. And I think Megan will be the feature next week, the next episode, because I don't think anything's opening up this week in theaters. I, I could be wrong. Um, then we also have National Treasure, which I, I'm, well, this this week was a little, little cheesy. We have Doom Patrol. I love that show. We have His Dark Material. Two more episodes, almost caught up, n- not quite yet. And something new this week is Star Wars, The Bad Batch. So, Two episodes dropped last week for this episode, and then next week, or this week is a third episode and so forth. But to get started with the news, um, I, this might not be all the news, like I said, we'll see. There was a new trailer, or the first trailer, <laughs> for Evil Dead Rise. It looks looks really good, it looks really interesting. I, I, I'm a little conflicted. Uh, it, as you may or may not know, I love Evil Dead. I love Bruce Campbell. I love Sam Raimi. This looks like it. It looks very interesting. You know, we have the Necromonicon. Necromonic. You know what it is. It's a. It makes its way to L.A. Somehow, some people find it. This mother gets infected. She has a couple kids. Um, her sister's there. It, it. It looks more serious than than funny. You know, there's no Bruce Campbell, which. That's just how it goes. You know, so that, that's a, a bummer right there. But it looks like they're going a more serious, scary, creepy way, which I'm, I'm totally open to that, but it, I don't know. We'll see. So that's going to come out on April 21st. Uh, interesting news. So with The Flash Season 9 coming up, it's been announced that Stephen Amell will be guest starring. And I guess it, it, they they even know, they're even saying which specific episode, which I feel like that could be a spoiler, but it, it, I'm sure it'll be promoted and everything. So he's supposed to be on, um, I think it's the ninth episode. And I forgot how you say his name, Kanan Lonsdale. So Wally West is back, which, where the heck has Wally been? You know, he, he left town. He was with the Legends of Tomorrow. And then didn't he go somewhere to like meditate and just, I, I, it just really bothers me with like all the crazy stuff that has happened and Wally West doesn't show up, like, doesn't help, doesn't check and see how they're doing. And it's just like, like no, no mention of anything. So I don't know if it's ever been mentioned why, you know, if if it was, um, the actor who didn't want to commit to it or what, but it's like, I feel like just, you should recast. You know, I've, I, it seems like you know you have other speedsters that have been introduced and so forth. But then you already had a, you already introduced one, so he's going to be back. So that that's, that's good. And um, I think what, what's his name? Bloodline. Uh, he, he's. I think he's he's popping up. That I forget his name. So we have some stuff to look forward to. Uh, there was another trailer that came out this week for Renfield i i totally totally want to see this so nicholas cage is dracula uh in the trailer you mostly see nicholas holt he's basically working for dracula and you know he like goes to like you know uh, uh, like a a support group because he hates his boss his boss is evil you know makes him do all these bad things and and you find out it's nicholas cage and it's nicholas cage as dracula and as soon as I, I mean, when I heard about it, it's like, yeah, of course you want to see it. But when you see the trailer, it's like, you, you got to watch that. So I, I'm super excited for that. It looks like we will have another trailer for Ant Man and the Wasp for Quantumania. Um, so when you listen to this, it's January 9th. So it the, by the time you listen to this, the trailer might already be out. It's supposed to um, debut during the National College Football Championship game. So that's on, on Monday and um as soon as it hits there it usually hits youtube like right after that so if you're not watching the game you can probably still catch it and um it's interesting cuz i think it comes out the week after the big game after the super bowl so there's probably going to be a tv spot for it but i guess it makes sense you know rather than wait till the last minute they want to try to get more excitement so i don't know if i really want to see another trailer i don't think i definitely don't need to see another one but i'll definitely I'll, probably, I'll watch one. Um, some interesting, not really interesting, I mean, I guess it's still up in here, but nothing really concrete. Stuff about you know DC, uh, James Gunn, all that stuff, Ezra Miller. It, people are saying that maybe Ezra Miller's not necessarily finished being The Flash. And basically James Gunn kind of said, it's like, well, we haven't really you know talked about that. There's, there's nothing that's really being said. And, you know, because like the rumor to report is that since Ezra Miller has gone through like, um, behavioral management programs or whatever that, you know, he's been doing a good job and everything like that. But James Gunn said that they're going to be making some announcements in the next few weeks. Cause you know, they have this 10 year plan and they haven't really addressed what they're going to do with the flash and, and it's possible he might still keep them because even, you know, it, it feels like they're, they're really trying to move more away from the Snyderverse stuff, which, and, and I totally can see why. So even though, I don't know, I mean, it, it's hard to say, but also, I also feel like with the movie still coming out, they're probably not necessarily going to want to say, oh yeah, this is going to be the last one. Cause then some people might be like, well, why am I going to go see it then if, if this is it, if, you know, there's, there's no possibility of this continuing in any form. And I feel like the same thing with Shazam, you know, I would, I would love to see more Shazam but they might wait till after to see how Shazam does and before they say yeah we're going to recast or we're not going to use you know but the thing is if they're starting over with this 10 year plan you know they may not ha- have Shazam appear again until like year 6 so we'll we'll have to see you know just wait and see what 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 they're going to do but James there was another rumor that like Wonder Woman was going to appear in like the first 3 years of this 10 year plan and James Gunn's like yeah that's that's not true i debunked that so it's great that james gunn will just you know squash these rumors and i that's the thing it's like you all these people post these rumors you know they they supposedly have these tips these contacts or whatever and i'm not saying that that's not true but it's like everyone wants to try to be breaking you know get these breaking news and you know and, and But it's like nothing's confirmed. And it's one thing if if you like totally put it out like this is a report, this is a rumor. But when you're trying to say something and there's like, I I just, I I wonder where these people get this information because there's so much crazy stuff that just comes, feels like it comes out of nowhere. And it's like, who's actually, is someone actually telling these people this or, yeah, I don't know. So. Well, and who knows? They still haven't, you know, confirmed necessarily that they're going to recast Wonder Woman. Even though we all probably think it's going to happen, but it's not necessarily. Um, if you are interested in watching Black Panther: Wakanda Forever again, I am. I'm curious just to see it again to check it out because I only watched it once. But it's going to be landing on Disney Plus on February first. And it's interesting. You know, I talked to some people. You know, some people were like, "Yeah, I didn't really like it." Uh, this was a family member and I'm like, okay, (laughs) you know, you're entitled to your wrong opinion or whatever. And I have to say, you know, I didn't necessarily love it. I didn't think it was like one of the best ones, but I find it interesting, like just from the comments from like some non hardcore, like, you know, whatever comic book movie fans, because I felt like it was something different and you know i always hear people complaining that like all the marvel movies are the same that it's just like this you know same formula same thing over and over again and i feel like what kind of forever wasn't maybe because it was a little more political so i i kind of welcomed that and embraced it that it was different that it wasn't just the same thing but what do i know and uh, the last bit of news i guess is dave batista so he's saying that he's kind of glad that his time as Drax is, is coming to end. You know, he says he he really appreciates the character and everything like that, but he does want Drax to be his legacy. He calls it like a silly performance, and I don't think you know that's meant as a knock against the character, or against Guardians of the Galaxy or James Gunn, but you know he's saying that there, you know, because I guess he's always he's wanted the character to branch out more, to be be fleshed out more, but they no one ever really wanted to do that. And he wants to do more dramatic stuff, which again, you can't blame it. If, if, you know, he, this is his, his career. He wants to be an actor. He doesn't just want to be a goofball all the time. He wants to show that he has more range and we haven't really been able to see that. I I hear, you know, some people keep mentioning uh, blade runner and I remember him in there like briefly. I don't think that it, from what I recall, because I've only seen Twenty Forty Nine, was it Forty Nine? I've only seen that once, so I don't know if there was like a big range of whatever for, for, for him to do there. But you look at Glass Onion; he was he was kind of a goofball there too. But that again, you can't. I'm I'm not saying that's anything against him, and you know his performance as Drax. He's just doing what the lines are, and what, what the the direction calls, and what the character calls for. Doesn't mean that that's all he can do. So we'll have to see. And I, I think with his uh, appearance in the you know M. Night Shyamalan or his appearance, his role in there, that, that could be, you know, the, what he's talking about being more, you know, more, the more dramatic stuff. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how that goes, because that looks like it's something different that he doesn't normally do. So I, I welcome that. And I welcome the end of the news because that's going to be it news this week. So really I see, I, I didn't. and the reason is so short this week is cuz I didn't jinx it by saying there wasn't a lot. But also I'm kind of cutting it a little short so there might be something that I missed that I'll just have to touch on next week. So with comic books at Image, we had Kaya number 3. It's so weird. It feels like that is it really number 3? Am I wrong here? No, for number 4. Okay. There's a second printing in number 3. Number four. I was like, it's it's gotta be more than than three issues I read. So this is a Wes Craig comic, and I'm I'm really getting into this world that he's he's creating because you know we don't know how you know there's like these reptilian people and Kaya has you know, she's like human and she's got this does she have like a metal arm? And uh, you can you know, there's like some some feelings for like one of the reptile dudes, and it's perfectly acceptable and you know there's big creatures and and it just it it, i'm really getting into like i'm looking forward to like seeing more and more of this world you know as as things are introduced and um the, the the one of the main things is this reptilian dude he's actually been like promise to another to because you know he's he's i don't think he's like a prince or something like that and so he's kind of been promised to unite like another kingdom and marry this other princess or something like that but he has feelings for kaya too and you know is he going to tell her and and so it's and i know that that totally doesn't sell a comic but and she's protecting her like half brother who was like of a higher rank but he's like seems like he's of a different species than she is so I just, I just find this really intriguing, and and I would recommend it. So you know, track down those first few issues, first four issues now, and then check that out because you, you don't want to miss out on that. Uh, Magic Order three number six came out, so that this is the last issue. And I didn't read it this week because I realized I still didn't read last week's, so uh, I need to get caught up on that. And you should read it if you haven't been. I, I'm waiting to hear more about the Netflix show, so hopefully that'll be happening soon. A Middle West um, trade paperback came out, so this is like the complete story. This, this is a Scotty Young comic, and it's it's he's really proud of this book. So if you haven't read it, you, you should definitely check it out. It, it's it's worth um, seeing what 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 he created there. Radiant Pink number two, I you know I don't think I read the Radiant Pink one. I have to look and see if if I have Radiant Pink number one, but I saw two came out. I was like, wait. Radiant Pink. So I, I didn't check that out. There was also a comic that I did get, but I haven't read it. It's Scotch McTieran's Holiday Party. So this is another one shot. This is by Jerry Duggan and Brian Pussain and Scott Koblish. Scott Koblish does the art. So, um, so according to Synopsis, first there's a 420 special, which I don't know if I got that issue. And then there is um, the Halloween Party, which I did get that, but I, I actually I haven't read that one. And then now there's a uh, this like holiday one, and um, I have I feel bad because I haven't read it, but it, it, you know I, I just love anything Jerry Duggan does, and you know Jerry and Brian Pussain, you know they did a bunch of Deadpool stuff, they've done other stuff, and so I'm I'm sure it's good. You should probably read that. Um, Stillwater number seventeen came out. And this this <laughs> series kind of. Gets me like on edge a little bit. It it's it's kind of stressful. So the, the, again, the, the whole I've said I say this like every time. The whole idea was still water, is this town you you live there, and you're basically immortal. You can't die. You don't age. But if you step foot out of the the town, the boundaries, then you're back to normal. So like if you got shot outside the town borders, um. You might be able to hear that heat just kicked on, so we'll just have to ignore that. If you can't hear that, ignore what, I'm, what I am what I'm just said. Uh, so you step outside the town border, let's say you get shot, you're gonna die. But if you are inside the borders, you get shot, you'll recover. Um, one of the things they do to kind of lock up people, to torture people or whatever, bury them alive in, in the town borders. So, you know, some people, the ruling party, they they don't mess around. So there's a there's a lot like not really a lot of political stuff, but there's, you know, grab for power and different things. And, you know, there's a faction that wants things to change because the people are basically prisoners or they're trapped there. Like if anyone tries to leave, they'll send people out after them to like bring them back. And so we just recently found out, like, how how is this even working? You know, why is what's so special about this town? So it's it's just a really intriguing story, and so I I recommend that. At DC, it, I am I wrong? There wasn't a lot that came out this this week at DC. There was Joker, the man who stopped laughing, number four, and this is a this is the w- weird comic. It's like I'm not really sure what's going on. And part you know, it's Matthew Rosenberg who's writing it, but part of it is. At, at first I was a little confused because I feel like we have like so many different Joker books. So there's like another Joker. Maybe we don't have as many now as we did. But at first I'm like, wait, is this in continuity or is this not in continuity? And I believe it is. But, oh, because we have this and, and then there's the, the Mark Silvestri Joker one, which it was like throwing me off because I think it I could be wrong. But I think like one week they both came out the same week and I'm just like, wait a minute. I'm getting my plot lines mixed up. So here you know we have the Joker he's uh, like I think he's in LA or somewhere like you know doing like some crime stuff or going after some some family crime family or whatever and but then he's also in Gotham he's like all like murdered but you know barely alive and you know like someone's done some some work on him and it's like wait is he the real Joker is the other you know who's the other guy because he has nothing to do with the other Joker and the one thing that bothers me is that this has nothing to do with three jokers because i I feel like you know three jokers even though i was i was was kind of skeptical when i first heard the idea even though it was jeff johns i knew because jeff johns i I had faith that he would pull off this three joker story and it would be amazing and i i I loved it and uh I, i would love for that idea to stick even though it's a bold move I, I 100% applaud what that story conveys and you know it'd be nice to see that utilized not overly utilized because yeah I and I, I'm going off on such a tangent now but I have always felt that there's been times where it's it's felt like we've had a different you know every time you see the Joker it kind of feels like it's a different you know he's not consistent necessarily or for a time he wasn't you'd see him in this one book and this was before we saw him like every single month but you'd see the Joker and he'd act a certain way, and then a few months later you'd see him again and he's a little different. And sometimes I was like, well, it's like, wow, that doesn't even seem like the same Joker. And it could be because whether he's unbalanced or not or whatever that that could be, you know, part of the reason for it. But I, I think it'd be interesting that if there was these slight variations or whatever. Anyways, I'm not getting into three Jokers, but we have all this, and uh, and we have Red Hood. Going after Joker because you know he obviously has got a, a bug, <laughs> whatever, just, uh, not a bug to settle. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. And uh, there's also the backup story with art by Francesco Francavilla, <laughs> and I don't know what's going on. This backup story is just so it's kind of Joker is like extremely wacky here, and. He's got this thing where he's like he's like falling in love with everyone, or whatever. And you know he's had these these last at least the last couple of issues is you know Zatanna's been there. And um, I, I I saw I think it was on Twitter or no maybe it was on Reddit where someone's like someone's you know, one of the things that happened is Joker's pregnant. <laughs> so I'll just say that um, you should pick up this issue or pick up all the issues and make sure you know what's going on. Sort of Azrael issue six came out. I'm not reading that, so I have no idea how that is. If it's awesome or if it's not, Um, I'm not a big Azrael fan. I wasn't super crazy about the first couple issues, so let me know if I'm wrong about that. I did read Poison Ivy eight, you know. I think I did read seven, but I was like, I got to talk about eight. You know, don't want to skip everything this week, so. Eight was it's definitely a self-contained story. It I mean I guess it does pick up somewhere because uh, Poison Ivy finds herself. She's kind of like trapped and she's like she needs help and she does get some help from someone and it was a I feel like it was a, a nice self-contained story because then this person's like well if I help you I'm gonna lose my job and I need this job and you know all this stuff like that and yeah so I I, I liked how the story was wrapped up and it you know it. It was like I said. It was it was a nice story, which normally I would kind of scoff a little at that. But maybe that's just what I needed with other stuff that's going on in my life that I wanted a sort of happy ending or whatever. Um, Gotham City Year One Issue Four. I read this one night. It was like super late, and um, so that's my excuse. But part of it is I I'm still so perplexed with this this series. It's like it's tom king and it feels like a lot of time tom king is given free reign to do kind of what he wants um phil hester does the art which i I totally dig his art and you know the more i see the more books i read that he draws in there. every time i see it i just i love his art more and more so the the strange thing here is it's gotham city but it's it's like an alternate gotham city because you know we have we have like certain characters like the Waynes and but there was like a a daughter that was kidnapped and we have Slam Bradley who's like the, taking like the, the big lead role I guess you would say and I don't really it, it, it like doesn't fit in because this takes place I believe it's like in the I don't think it's in the 50s it could be in the 60s and, and I, I maybe that's something I should totally know but it's like a it doesn't fit in with the regular time frame. It's like, how is this? Where? What? What? Why? And is it just like a multiverse, or we're just not supposed to worry about it? But I'm just, I'm a, I'm a little, little confused because it is called Gotham City Year One, and when you hear that, you think like Batman Year One or you know, Robin Year One or you know whatever Year One, and it's has nothing to do with that if it's not the same Gotham dip in regular continuity. So unless. I'm just totally missing something. But there's like, it's not like Thomas Wayne, right? Is it Bruce Wayne? No, I don't, I'm totally forgetting. It's been a long week. Um, Dark Knights of Steel, issue nine. So uh, just crazy stuff going on. I mean, um, so here, Tom Taylor is kind of given free reign to do what he wants, since this is like an Elseworld story. You know, you have the DC characters in like medieval time. And um, definitely some interesting changes have been made with, with, with certain characters, but you can have characters just straight up die or get killed by someone else because this is a, a separate world. So, you know, there, there's more serious repercussions versus, you know, you're not going to kill off Batman in the regular Batman book. You could, but you know, he's, you know, he's going to come back. So here, you know, characters are getting killed or whatever, and it's just like, well, <laughs> I guess that's it. And yet, yeah, they could still bring them back. You know, you know, it's still comics we're we're talking about. But there's just like with the different kingdoms and uh, characters. I mean, there's definitely some tensions and and there's kind of a war already happening. But it's just it's escalating more and more with with all these just attacks and different things happening. Um, then there was Batman One Thirty One. Which was kind of weird. So we recently had uh, Batman. This is a Chip Zdarsky. Oh, and uh, Mike Hawthorne does the art here, which is is great. Um, I I feel like I don't know I I don't know if I could say that he's underrated, but I, I don't feel like people talk about him as, as nothing. I mean, is I just I love his art. So this is following the events of Batman fighting failsafe, which was like a computer program robot sentient thing come to life that was trying to take out Batman because it was supposed to be like if Batman ever crossed the line this thing was supposed to take him out and something happened and it was trying to take him out and anyone who was trying to help him and stuff like that um, and, and we had you know Batman up at the watchtower and, and get blown out of the watchtower and have to like, figure out a way to land on earth without a ship. But now that he's back, oh, he also had to, like, dip into the Batman of and our persona, protocol, whatever you want to call that. And uh, so now it's like, wait, where is Batman? What happened to him? Because people are wondering, like, is Batman dead? But he finds himself, he's in Gotham, but it's, like, it's not his Gotham. So it's like, wait, what the heck is going on? Yeah, so you just, just check that out because it's, it's definitely intriguing story. And what's I think the other thing that's interesting here is Tim Drake is, is playing a big role. You know, we have Tim Drake and Dick Robin Dick Robin, <laughs> Dick Grayson appear here, here. But I I really love Tim Drake's role here. You know, he's really like being a champion for for Bruce. You know, he's like he's not dead. He's not dead. He was like, we've been through this and he's and he you know he kind of blames himself for some things and, and stuff like that. It just feels like a totally different character than Tim Drake in a Tim Drake book. I mean, aside from the hair, which I always talk about, it just it feels and it's weird because like in a Tim Drake book, he Tim it seems like he's had some sort of falling out with with Bruce Wayne, like he doesn't want anything to do with them. But here it's it's like no, he's like this is his father, you know. He's like a loyal son, and and you know, so I have to say I prefer. Tim's appearance here than in his book, not just because of his hair, but you have that. So that's it for um, DC. They're, they're like, there wasn't anything else. Um, at Marvel, there was Avengers 64. Uh, I kind of skimmed through this. This is still this big, ongoing multiverse of masters of evil evil multiverse masters of evil and mephisto and i'm just i'm just so tired of this story it's very big and ambitious but i i just feel like it's not for me and you know while some people might think it's cool to see all these different versions of captain america or iron man or whoever i just feel like I don't need this. I don't. I don't need to see like eight different versions of a character, and you know, in the hopes. I feel like it's in the hopes that they'll spin off into their own character, like, ala you know, Spider Gwen. How you know she's such a you know, in, integral part of the Marvel universe. I I would say. So I don't. I feel like it's it's kind of like oh you know with Spider Verse we've created these new characters and you know we can make new franchises or this or that but I just. I'm not enjoying it, I hate to say that. Um, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. So part of me, I feel like, did I read issue 7? I must have read issue 7, I think I read issue 7, yeah. So this big energy shield has been placed over New York and AIM is involved and Captain America and so Captain America and some others, they they found themselves like they're missing time, like something's happened, someone's manipulated their minds, or you know whether it's surgically or psychically or, or psychically telepathically, so they need to figure out. So so Steve regroups with some other characters, and you know I don't want to spoil too much who who appears there, but you know we we have a a, a cool group there, and they need to try to figure out what happened. And, you know, how can they get back into New York and, you know, what the heck is going on here? So, and then you you got these, uh, you know, the the secret organization that Steve's still trying to deal with that claims responsibility for his shield and and all that. So some, some interesting things there. Captain Marvel issue 45. Not super crazy about the brood, the brood storyline, but I do like all the characters that are here. And I, I, like, I love the fact that we have Carol with her kind of almost normal supporting cast that appear. You know, uh, Jessica Drew, um, Hazmat, and is there someone else there? But then we also have her, some X-Men here for certain reasons. Um, basically, Carol got like a distress call from Rogue of all people. And Carol's like, why would she call me? So we have Gambit, you know, they're trying, they went out to space to rescue Rogue. So Gambit, of course, has to be there. But then we have Laura, Wolverine, X-23, whatever you want to call her. And I I just love the way she's written here. I feel, you know, she's just so fierce, but she's still her, you know. And then we have um, Quan and Psylocke and uh, there's some other people. So it's just, I really like the characters, but the brood stuff, I'm not super crazy about the brood. Fantastic Four issue three, so this is by Ryan North. Um, I am not really sure. I'm I, I want to give this a fair shot because I, I I really dig Ryan North's writing, but this approach with this new volume is you know we're we're seeing the team separate, which I, I can appreciate that you know like do a story just on the thing and, and Alicia do a story on on Reed and Sue do a story, this one's just on Johnny and part of me, because Johnny's kind of a bonehead sometimes so that kind of dragged this issue down a little bit for me and then there's there's still the fact that something happened, you know, we don't know you know, they they talk about being a superhero is illegal in the city which I just think is so stupid when they try doing that stuff and uh Something happened. The Baxter Building's gone, or their assets are frozen. We're hearing, and and Fantastic Four did something or failed to do something, so you know, people are hating them, and um, so Johnny decides that he needs a secret identity, and you know he needs to try to get a job, and it's just I don't know. I, I didn't really, I wasn't too crazy about this issue, but then at the end, it's it's kind of suggesting that we're going to maybe be getting answers next next time. Then there's Gold Goblin issue three, and I, I think the, for me the problem is because it's kind of tied into the Dark Web. I'm just not super crazy about it, and I just I don't know how I feel. I'm I'm okay with Norman possibly being you know trying to redeem himself. Um, I'm not super crazy about the Gold Goblin outfit, so I yeah. I mean I'll keep checking it out, but I'm I'm not super crazy about where it's it's been going so far uh we have joe fix it number one so this is by peter david and uh um does the art so this is another one of those stories that takes place out of you know in past continuity which is is fine and um i was because of like the time and everything i was like well maybe i won't read that this week you know maybe i'll I'll check it out later but i did did read it and i i enjoyed it because spider-man's there for S- certain reasons and uh, um, Kingpin shows up and you know so this is a time when everyone just you know the Hulk is grey and he's going by Joe Fixit and everyone assumes he's just this, this Vegas um, casino mob dudes bodyguard you know they don't know that he's the Hulk even though it's like uh, are you sure you, you can't see that so it's, it's kind of interesting, and when Kingpin comes up, and then this uh, Kingpin—I'll just say Kingpin versus Joe Fixit—and uh, we'll just leave it at that. Then um, there was another issue of Planet Hulk: Worldbreaker, and I didn't check that one out. I'm—I'm I'm not super; I haven't been super, you know, loving that that series. So part of it is because it's you know post-apocalyptic; it's a future, and you know things are horrible, and it's just dreary and. So I don't know, but I, I will go back and and check that out. Scarlet, which issue one? I didn't love this first issue, but I it, I love the art because um, it's Sarah Pacelli. So Wanda obviously wants to you know try to redeem herself for you know certain things that have happened and everything like that, and you know she's got the shop, and there's a like opportunity for if people need help where you know she'll she'll help them out and. So you kind of get that where this this town has been kind of taken. I'm trying. To, I don't want to give too much away, but you know she's gonna try to help this this town and do some stuff. So um, it's weird because Quicksilver shows up and I I don't know why he was there. You know, yes he's he's her brother and all that, but it just felt like he I don't know his his uh, his appearance wasn't. It just felt out out of place, but. That's fine. I mean, I, I like when he is um. A, you know, a, appreciative of his sister. You know, I guess you know he's always been kind of kind of protective and all that. Um, Secret Evasion, issue three. This is a weird comic because I, I feel like this should be a bigger deal, and it just it. I don't know if anyone's, and, and not that I'm I'm sitting or you know at the comic store talking to anyone. But I feel like this is kind of just kind of going under the radar, where if you have scrolls invading, you know, posing as people, that's that's crazy. That that's a big deal, and so Maria Hill is like totally on edge, which you know you can't blame her. And you know, like she goes to Tony Stark, and you know she, you know, every time they meet, they're supposed to do a blood test and, and all that. But we saw in the last issue that. I mean, if you think about it, if you have scrolls, and if they know that there's going to be blood tests, like, well, what if they happen to get a sample of the blood, and because they can change your appearance, is like, well, couldn't they have like a pa- fake packet of blood hidden under their skin somewhere, so then they inject that spot, so when the blood is tested, it's, it's the blood of, you know, whoever they're posing is. So there's some crazy things, and and. Maria, she's not holding back. I mean, she's she does some things that are pretty pretty intense here. So you should check that out. Um, Shang-Chi, Master of the Ten Rings came out, which is weird because it was just last week that we had the last Shang-Chi. And um, I just kind of skimmed through this, but for me, the, the problem is I don't know all these other characters and I don't have any connection to them. Um, I, I'm interested in seeing more of Shang-Chi... But I feel like there's just so many other characters that are just throwing me off. And I'm just like, I don't want to take the time to learn who these characters are. And I don't know. So we'll see. Um, Spider-Man issue four. It's Dan Slot. It's Mark Bagley. I want to like this more than I do. But I'm not crazy about this Spider-Verse stuff and you know where some of the heroes are being turned into these wasp creatures and other characters are being severed from the spider timeline whatever web of something and some people are getting killed <laughs> so I, I don't know um, i mean i yeah obviously i'm gonna keep reading it but i'm just like uh i don't need need all this and you know, and here's another case where we're, we keep getting like more and more new spider characters, and I some of them I don't care about. I mean, some of them are kind of cool, but I just there is a appearance of one character who we've seen before, we haven't seen in a while, and I was happy to see her there. I'm not really sure why she was there because there's a a, a group uh, there's like spider characters who couldn't be turned into this wasp thing. So they're being locked up there, but there's this one character. It's like, why, why couldn't this character be turned? And I don't think I missed it in you know in this issue, but um, hopefully we'll see more of this certain character. Then there was Spider-Man or Spider-Man, Star Wars issue thirty. Um, so the thing here, we have art by Andreas Genole. and. It's it's really nice art and the the color is really bright and vibrant. It looked a tad, like a tiny bit, like it was more like a, like a Star Wars animated, you know, two D animated style. So it was cool and everything like that, but then with some of the greens, like, there, like some of the, like the green colors, like just like really like not necessarily like a neon, but like it's this deep green, and it just I've said it many many times that. Color in sci-fi comics sometimes throws me out of the book. And it just it feels too artificial even though it's just a comic. It's not real. I get that. But sometimes it just throws me out of the story. So while I, I really can appreciate the art style and the way the characters look, I, I totally dig. I would love to have a style of my own that I can, can embrace. It just felt weird compared to past issue recent issues where it's just like not it's not that sharp of a contrast but it just to me it felt different enough that's like wait what's this is still the same series but again i maybe i'm just nitpicking i don't know and then that's kind of all i read um there was X x-force 36 but i'm i'm not i haven't been super crazy about the x-force stuff and um Omega Red's in here, so I'll just use him as an excuse. I, I I don't care for Omega Red, so it's hard for me to, to want to read anything with him. Um, X Men Legends, I didn't read this, but Will's Portacio is is on here, so I should probably check that out at at some point. I'm I'm a little behind on an X Men Legend, and then X Men Red, I've been struggling with this book too because part of it is Vulcan is just I don't I don't know if I you could say he's too abrasive but he, i just find him not necessarily annoying but i just i don't care about him and i know that there's like this big battle brewing i don't think it started yet cuz i think something's going to happen where he's going to get killed and then like re reset if he hasn't already and so he's you know for, forgotten some things and he's just going to be totally unhinged and it's just like whatever um I don't don't need any more of that. So with that, we don't need any more me like being bummed out about comics cuz that is going to be comics for this week. Let's pick things up and get into some TV show. Okay, with His Dark Material, two more episodes. There's actually 3 episodes left. I'm only going to do 2 and then we'll do the last one next week. So, season 3, episode 6 the abyss it starts off there's like thundering explosion um metatron says in the beginning man was given the gift of dust it ignited his mind and freed his will but that free will has corrupted mankind dust shall be drawn into eternal darkness once more that which was given shall be taken away so (laughs) metatron is is kind of ticked off at uh at azrael and uh He's taking dust away. That doesn't seem like it's, it's going to be a good thing. Marissa lies on the floor of the lab. She gets up. She's groggy. She looks at at McPhail in the seat. He's dead. And the bomb lies on the floor. Ly- Lyra's hair is still inside, like the little compartment thing. She pulls it out. The monkey checks on Roke. I think Roke is dead. So he must have just gotten squeezed and thrown against the wall. And then uh, Marissa grabs her locket. So then we see Fra Pavel, he's lighting a candle because, you know, there's a big shakeup, you know, all, the, the whole place. Marissa comes up to him. He's like, what happened? She cuts him off, and she's like, tell me if my daughter survived now. So he goes to the lithiometer. Then he's like, she's in darkness. And Mrs. Coulter's like, what does it say? And he just, like, looks up at her. So is, she, is this because she's in a land of the dead or did the bomb reach her and she's really dead? At the land of the dead, because there's an explosion there, Roger opens his eyes. Everyone's, like, knocked over. Others start to rise. There's, like, rumbling in the distance. Roger's looking for, for Lyra. He starts calling out to her. There's, like, this big divide, like this chasm with, like, dust pouring down. At Azra's place, an alarm goes off. He looks at this handheld reader, and he's like, the dust levels are fluctuating. So he goes up top to his, like, balcony, looks around. There's more rumbling. Serafina flies, and she sees, like, the ground's kind of, like, caving in. Mary goes up to the tree. She looks through her glass thing again. Azrael smiles and Mary's like, no, no, no. Azrael says to Estelle Maria, he's like, this is it. Albus, our, Al- Alarbus, has delivered our message. The intention craft returns with Mrs. Coulter and her monkey. Stel Maria sees her and she's like, it's her. So Azrael, he's working on some machine. He's like, you're back. He's like, that's good. She's like, come have a look at this. He talks about the indecision chamber and the effect it had on their friend, the incarcerated angel its ability to draw and trap dust forever. This abyss is much the same, only on a magnitude I never thought possible. We are going to be able to use that. She walks towards him kinda of like a robot. Then Merca finally speaks. She's dead, Azrael. And he stops and he looks at her and she's like, Lyra is dead. Azrael he's like such a he just responds, he's like, hmm. And he looks back at the machine and she kind of looks at him like incredulously then says, would you like me to tell you how your daughter died or would you prefer to keep tinkering with your toys? He says, if what you're saying is true, I am very sorry, but what I am doing here is of the utmost importance it is going to change everything. And she's like, how, how will this change anything? He says that he can't hear this, not now. And she's like, you will. The magisterium created a bomb to target our child using her DNA. Last night we attempted to disable it. Lord Rogue died trying. Azrael sighs. Then he says, like, you mustn't blame yourself. You clearly, oh, believe me, I'm not blaming myself. She's like, I know the technology. I designed it. I stopped it from detonating. But a bolt of light struck the intercession chamber and triggered the release, sending the bomb straight to Lyra. Angelic light, Metatron's answer to your war crime. If you hadn't baited him, Lyra would still be alive. Do you understand? You've taken my daughter from me, and I will never forgive you. And she, like, walks away. Azrael just, like, stands there speechless. Into the land of the dead, so Lyra's lying on the ground. Roger sees her, like, crawls over to her. He tries waking her. Will gets up. The ground's still kind of rumbling. And then Lyra gets up. And she, she says, you know, she thinks she's okay. So she's still alive, but she's in the land of debt. So she is, but she's not, but she is. Azrael's is gonna go down to the chasm on a rope. Maria's like, He's like you shouldn't go down there, it's reckless, so Maria's his, his demon. He reaches this landing and like unhucks a rope. Below, it's like there's some, I don't know if it's lava or if it's dust, he looks at the scanner and he sees that it's dust. So it's just this light down there. Atal, the elephant thing, says, We need to find a way to stop this, to draw the seraph back, which is the dust. Mary's like, She says that they need more time. Ruta and Ogunway look over to area. Sergei, Ruta's ingle demon, flies over and then gets sucked into the chasm. Ruta feels the, his pain right away, and she tells Ogunway that she's like, I can't hear her. Or, no, she can't hear him. Right? Yeah. So he's going down, and. She's like, I can't stop him. The darkness is drawing him in. Azrael at, at his like little ledge thing. He sees Sergei falling, and then he sees Sergei like just like dissolve. Ruta whispers Yamba Aka, and Serafina continues flying. Ruta dies. So Seraphina, I think she like felt it. Lyra calls out to Lee, um, she, Lee Scoresby's name, and they're they're trying to figure out what caused the blast. Will wonders if it was their fault because they're there. Then there's another little explosion, some rumbling. So they're like in the opening of this cave, and Lyra says that they have to keep moving. Roger calls out because they found a way that goes up. There's this like um, like hollow roaring in the background or like that. There's more trembling along the path. Down below, Lyra can see the stream, stream of glowing light, so it's that lava or dust or whatever it is. They're going to have to make a leap over this one part of the path, but Will wonders like what happens if they fall uh, as, as, and then he starts, like, walking towards the edge. He's, like, almost in a trance. Lyra goes to him, and he starts going on about all these people are following them because of him. What if he can't get them out of there, et cetera? You know, he's supposed to be the knife bearer. Lyra grabs him, tells him that he's, she's like, look at me. She's like, you're fine. It's like, we're going to get them out of here. It's, it's just the chasm. And she's like, I can feel it, too. And she tells him to watch, and then she leaps across. Then Roger and Will, they both want to go within lead jumps. Azrael's looking at some like slides or pictures from his trip down there. Agunway calls to him, and Azrael, he seems elated. He's like, this abyss, it is an act of war. It's like Ruta's demon. Sergei was pulled into this, this thing because he was made of dust. And he's like, well, so are angels. Agunway turns around and says that, he, that Azrael's asked them to have blind faith in him, and while they all reject their beliefs, now Queen Ruta is dead as a result. Azrael says that, you know, he can see past the loss, and he tells Ogunway to open his eyes. He's like, this isn't a setback, it's a bloody gift. Then soldiers are start, outside start yelling, they're like, get back, get back. So Serafina's there, and everyone, like, draws their gun. Like, Ogunwe's like, who are you? And, and, you know, even Azrael has his gun out. She's like, I am Serafina Pekula, queen of the Lake and our clan, and I demand to know what happened to my sister. So I, I'm trying to think because, you know, Azra had his gun on her, but I guess he hasn't met her because, you know, she was like in season one or season two. But I guess he was already gone by that point. So he's like, Queen Serafina Pecola, He's like, welcome to the Republic. Please let it be known that Ruta Scotti was an ally and a valuable asset in a rebellion. Serafina says that she heard her call for her death. And a gunway says that she felt the presence of a great darkness. Then she was gone. Seraphina says, but I sense her here still, and, you know, it pains me to tell you both that what happened to Ruta was not a death, but worse again. That abyss out there is a rupture in the multiverse, sucking all dust deep down inside the void between the worlds. I bore witness—this is um, Azrael, by the way. He's like, I bore witness to her daemon, Sergi, falling inside, and it is my belief that no being, flesh, or dust will ever emerge from its darkness. Servina says, so there will be no peace for her, part of her soul forever falling. And it's like, she turns to leave forever in limbo. So she says she saw a chasm when she was flying you know, over. It tore through every world that she crossed. And then she turns to Azrael. She's like, you did this. And he puts up a hand and he's like, no, 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 no. And she's like, your arrogance playing with forces you have no concept of. And she pulls her dagger out and he's like on his knees and he orders everyone. He's like weapons down. He tells her that he is at her mercy, and he's like, do with me as you will, but let it be known that the loss of Queen Ruta is as keenly felt by myself as it is by you. I don't know if that's true. Ogunwe says that he believes it is Metatron's doing. His answer to the provocation, Azrael says that they have his attention now. He'll be coming for him. If revenge is what she truly wants, then by his side is the only place that she'll find it. So she wants to, like, thrust her blade at him, but then she decides against it. So the dead continue walking. There's, like, screeching echo. This is in the land of the dead. Um, screeching echoes in the distance. They start uh, talking about Lee's balloon and Yorick being in there, and Will's like, he's like, oh, I met him. He's like, yeah. he's, like, you know, surprised a bear in there. They're like, such, it was, was quite the balloon, whatever. They talk about, like, all the adventures and, like, the cliff gas and everything like that. Mrs. Coulter notices that the intention craft is gone, so she asks Ogunway, she's like, where is it? And she says that she's ready to leave. He says that he's afraid that he can't let her leave again without the council approval. And she's like, come on. She's like, the only vote that counts around here is Azrael's, and he acts only in his own interest. She says that that he should do the same. Agunway says that he's not like the two of them. He's here for something other than his own interests. Then he asks her, like, what's happened? She says that Lyra's dead, and he p- puts, like, a hand on her sh- shoulder, and it almost, like, catches her off guard. He says that he's like, I'm so sorry. He's like, Azrael did not tell me. Then um, she, like, pulls away and asks if he's going to give her that vehicle or not. He finally says Azrael took it and flew north, and he's he's like, sorry. She starts to leave, like, the area, but then her her monkey, you know, he he leaves. Her monkey is just sitting there, like, alone, and she's like, come, and it just still sits there. Then she says it louder, and it gets up, and it just, like, walks away from her. At the dead, the dead are still walking. Harpies are flying and screeching. Will's looking back at everyone. And she's like, are you looking for your father? And he's like, well, you know, what chance do we have? She's like, well, we found Roger and Lee. Lee says that, you know, they could send word back, you know, what's his name? And Will's like, John Perry. And that like kind of like st- stops Lee. He's like, John Perry, Joe Jopari? He's like the man of many names. He's like, he told me about you. You're the shaman's son. And Will's like, you know him? And Lee's like, yeah, I know him. He's a, a hard man to find. He's like, lucky for you, we might have a way to summon him. He's like, no promises. He's like, you got to go on. And it's like, I'll, I'll catch up. Stell Maria questions what Azrael's up to now because he went to talk to Yorick. He walks up, King Yorick, and he just like swats him aside. And Azrael's like, I am unarmed. He's like, I'm saddened to see, you know, what my work has done to your land. Yorick's like, my bear starved because, you know, you blew a hole in the sky. Azrael says that there is worse to come if the war is not won. And he's like, give me one reason why I shouldn't kill you. And he's like, Lyra Silvertongue. And York's like, why do you speak to me of her? Azrael's like, you renamed her. He's like, you loved her. T- tell me of her. She is everything you are not. Azrael's like, perhaps I should have known her better, but she is gone. And if you kill me, then you know, n- know that she will never be avenged. You do not understand. Lyra went to the land of the dead, but she walked in alive. And he's like, Ezra's like, how did she enter that place? And Yorick's like, the knife. Ezra's like, the knife is broken. I fixed it. She went in after her friend, Roger. And Ezra's like, the kitchen boy. Another reason why I should kill you. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. He's like, if we die, we are judged by the authority and sent to either heaven or hell. Then in which place is Lyra? And New York's like, neither. It is a soulless place where the dead go, but can never escape. So Azra's like, everlasting prison. He starts chuckling. He's like, why then? My daughter's staging a prison break. He's like, almost like proud of that. Lyra and the others have reached this narrow ledge now, and the chasm below is roaring. She just like stares at it, and then she falls back. And no one like they're just, like so caught off guard, no one catches her. She just like falls and falls, and then this harpy flies over and grabs her and takes her like up further the path. Uh, Seraphina Serafina finds Mrs. Coulter. She says that Ogunway told her, and she says she's so sorry. Uh, Mrs. Coulter says, she's just like, I tortured one of your witches once. And Serafina's like, I know who you are. And Coulter, like, stands and turns. She's like, I mutilated her, pulled out her cloud pine. You know, she suffered terribly. She screamed out. She begged for her death. Serafina says that she's like, I see what you are trying to make me do. And then Mrs. Coulter, she's like, come on. She's like, do it. You know you want to do it for her. Do it for your sister. And then she's like, do not speak of my sister. Mrs. Coulter asks, like, are you scared of him? It's like, the the other one would have done it. Serafina says that she is not her sister. She will not do it. Mrs. Coulter says that if she won't do it out of anger, then please just do it out of mercy. Serafina says that her heart is too is, is heavy too, and she doesn't understand it. Uh, you know, Love makes us fragile in ways we cannot fathom. Mrs. Coulter says, she's like, I didn't love Lyra. I wasn't able to. I I was incapable of it. And, you know, like too warped. Even my own demon rejects me. Serafina says that the way she feels right now is proof that she did love Lyra. She understands more than she knows. Um, You know, she lost her boy a long time ago. Lyra gave her hope again because, you know, she would change the world. She would defeat death. She would become Eve and now won't happen. Mrs. Coulter says that when she first heard that prophecy, it terrified her because she always was taught to believe that Eve was guilty of something shameful. Seraphina says that the magisterium teach the fall as a birth of sin because they fear the unknown. All Eve did was dare to experience. It's an act of bravery of, of great beauty. And she's like, "You were a monster, but look at what experience did to you. What love did. It changed you." And then she like walks out, and Mrs. Coulter takes a locket out of her pocket. She's like thinking of Lyra will made his way to Lyra and asks if she's okay he hugs her he says that he thought she was gone she's like I did too and he says that the, the harpy saved her and it's standing nearby with his like it's back to her like growling she starts talking to it she's like excuse me I'd like to give you something to thank you Will's like, like no no like, like what are you doing and then looking at Will she's like a name the harpy hisses names can't just be given Lyra says that hers was by a friend And then she's like, think. She's like, gracious wings. It turns and screeches in her face. And Lyra's like, if you'd like it, it hisses, you can't take it back now. Will says, can you tell us now, please? And it's like, and he's like, "Uh, gracious wings, are we going the right way? We need to reach the highest point. It looks towards the cave and it's like, that way. And it says, you know, or Will's like, thank you. And Gracious Wing's like, you cannot tell the story of my name if you do not get out. Lyra's like, you like stories, don't you? Like true ones? True stories are nourishing. They feed us. We had no idea there was anything but lies and wickedness. Then Lyra's like, you know, if those who follow um, behind tell them everything they saw in the world, everything true, would you guide them here so they could be set free? It hisses, do not lie to me. She's like, "I, I won't. She's like, do we have a deal? The prisoners save passage in exchange for their stories. It flies up. Lyra calls out, it's okay. She's like, just tell your stories. Mrs. Coulter changed into like pants and a jacket. Azrael comes in. He's like, Lyra's alive. And she entered the land of the dead on her own free will to rescue the kitchen boy. And she's like, don't do this. This is your guilt talking. And he's like, they're in a sort of purgatory. They cut their way in using a knife. She's like, I saw the knife break. Azra says it was mended by Eorg Bernenson. He told him himself, and he's like, it makes sense. The authority cows us with the threat of heaven or hell, but even that was a lie. It's all purgatory. And she's like, "She's, she's like, I'm not interested in your theory. She's like, what proof do you have? He says that she knows as well as he does that the pan- panster Bjorn cannot lie. So I, I think that's Eorg, whatever. And she's like, don't lie to me. And he's, he's like, she's alive. You know, she's coming when she frees her friend Roger. You know, he says that she said to herself, you know, she's extraordinary. The witch's prophecy to free a soul from the land of the dead. She says that the witches, they believe two things about Lyra, that she is Eve and that she will defeat death. And then she starts chuckling. And she's like, that's what she's doing. The prophecy was right. She says that they have to help her. Walking through the cave, they hear like some whistling and Lee pops out. He says that they've been waiting for him. Someone wants to see him, so I'm, I'm not really sure how Lee found him. But in this like little sub cave, his dad's there, so maybe it had something to do with something that was mentioned before. I don't, I don't know. So he gets up. Will like walks in. He's like William, and Will says he's like I, I haven't done what you said. I haven't taken the knife to Azrael. He's like I, I'm. You said I was a warrior, but I can't fight my nature. But he's like, you know, he he, he was wrong. He, he's like, or he's like, I hate fighting. I'm not who you want me to be. And John Perry's like, no, no, no. He's like, you're so much more. And they hug. Roger and Lyra talking outside. Um, Roger says that Will is lucky to have her to care about him. And then they start talking about their stories. He thought that when they finally found each other, they could go back to Oxford. But I don't think that's going to be able to happen. So Joe Perry Um, asked Will if he knows what a remarkable thing it is that he came here. And Will's like, it wasn't just him. He's like, it was Lyra's idea. And he's like, yes, the girl, Eve. He's like, I know about her. She's like, the two of you will set us free. Will's like, I don't even know if I can do it. He's like, I'm just so tired and my chest is. And Joe Perry's like, that's because you're away from your demon. He's like, separation across the worlds weakens your bond. He's like, she's pining for you. And Will's like, how do you know? Joe Perry says that he guided her to Azrael's Republic as soon as uh, you release these ghosts, you must cut through and find her. She's vulnerable. And he's like, promise me. Then he's, he's like, you know, listen to him. Don't try to live in a world that's not your own. No matter how tempting it may seem, you and your demon won't survive. Will says, but you know, he did. And Joe Perry's like, he's like, no. He's like, I felt it every day, like an ache. It goes on. Uh, he, he goes on about like, other stuff. Then Will's like, I can't say goodbye to you again. And his dad's like, well, then don't say goodbye. So they hug, and then uh, John, John Perry hands the knife back to Will. He's like, go. So Will comes out. Lyra asks if he's all right. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm okay. He's like, we need to keep going. Seraphina says that no demon can enter the land of the dead. If Lyra's there, then Panta, Pantalamian, she always says his full name, will be in the upper worlds. Marissa asks if, if Lyra and Pan are separated. Um, that means they're vulnerable, so they must be reunited. Azrael says that he'll send a regiment to look for them right away, and Seraphina's like, "No, it's like it'll draw too much attention." So she's going to send Casa. So that's I guess that's her demon, um, which is like a, a goose eagle or something like that. She's like, "If it is true and Lyra is going to free to dead, she and Will will have achieved something remarkable far beyond your rebellion. Lyra is your focus now. Do not fail her." In the land of the dead, they've reached the top of like the cave path, but it ends and there's like more cliff. Lyra's like, we can't go any further. So, you know, this is it. Will takes a knife out. They're all kind of like watching. He starts cutting. He's like, barely. He's like, grunts. And then there's like light as he starts slicing. It's like really bright. And then there you see like this gorgeous water, like mountainside. Where, and Lee's like, it's paradise. Roger asks, he's like, what happens when, when they step through there? Will says that his dad said that they'll be free. He's like, you'll drift apart, but you'll be out in the open connected with everything that's alive. And Roger's like, he's like, I'll go first. Lyra stops him. She's like, I'm going to miss you so much. And he's like, he says that she'll be okay. He's like, I know you will. He's like, you saved your best friend. He's like, when you go back to Jordan, he's like, go to the roof for me. And she's like, okay. So he looks at the light. He looks at Lyra. He's like, I'm ready. And he, he gets up there, he steps through, and then poof, he's gone. Lee says every part of him is aching to be part of the universe again. So he looks at Lyra. He tells, he's like, no need for that. And then he like hugs her. He's like, it's okay. He's like, thanks to her and Will. You know, he's like, take good care of each other. And he's like, "He's like, I'm gonna go be with my Hester, his his demon. And then poof, he's gone. Then the others get up, start stepping through. Mary is over by the tree. She hears like ghosts whispering. It's like, if you tell them stories. And then she looks up, and so she, I think she's looking at the same body of water. So that's where they're going. Mrs. Coulter finds her monkey sitting in a room alone. And she's like, Lyra's alive may i sit and she's like it hurts when we're apart i pretend that it doesn't that first time i sent you away it was awful i don't know why i do it at first it was a curiosity but now it's become something else a way to not feel what i can't bear i used to think that i was the strong one i was wrong it was you all along the monkey just like looks back at her she's like i am so very sorry please come back to me she holds out her hand and she like sheds a tear and then monkey slowly reaches. And the monkey's so darn cute, even though he was so mean in the beginning. Azrael's working on this device. He hears uh, Zaphania say, it is it is time. So that the first prophecy has been fulfilled. The girl and the boy have succeeded in their quest. And Marissa comes in. She's like, Azrael, do you hear that? He tells her that it's Zafania. She reveals um, her angelic form. And then uh, she's like, Will and Lyra have released the dead from their prison. And Azrael's like, all of them? And she's like, Metatron's purgatory is broken His control is weakened, so he will come at you with everything he has. The final rebellion has begun. And that's the end of the sixth episode. Episode, season three, episode seven, The Clouded Mountain. So there's this big, dark, clouded mountain, like, headed towards a chasm, like in Azrael's base. Everyone is like getting ready. Capacitators are being placed by the chasm, these like device things, they're like on the wires. Witches are gathering, they're like just floating in the air. Safania mentions that with the mountain coming closer, uh, the way forward now depends on Lyra. If Eve survives the fall once more, all worlds will be liberated. But if Metatron can control the children, all their demon, the future is, is his forever. Azra says that he's devoted his entire life to science in the pursuit of truth. He's sworn blind, the prophecies are merely stories concocted control the credulous and yet here he stands unable to avoid the prof- prophetic truth in front of him. The success of their entire rebellion seemingly hinges upon the survival of his daughter. So he's like, so change of plan. We don't have to win this fight. We just have to keep Metatron's forces away from the girl and the boy long enough for them to be reunited with their demons escape to a safe world and fall. Zephania says that she'll alert him when a knife-bearer cuts through because the spirit can sense the blade. Ogunway says that all the civilians have taken shelter in the bunkers beneath the base. The soldiers stand ready. Seraphina says that Kasa has been searching for the demons. When he finds them, she'll go to them. Azrael asks if she'll bring them back here. And Marissa says that the cloud mountain above them is, is here. But Azra says that he designed a building to withstand angelic force. And she's like, how can you possibly know the nature of Metatron's attack? And Azra's like, oh. He's like, I'm prepared for him. Lyra and Will are everyone enter to cut. And then she says that they can enter that world. You know, it smells nice. But he's like, we can't. He's like, um, you know, he has an idea. So he says that uh, they have to get to their demons He's like, right? He's like, I'll cut to the Republic, find them, and then you can go to that nice world, and I'll meet you there. And she's like, you want you want to leave me? And he's like, no, but you just said you want to go there. Lyra's like, we've come this far, and you still don't understand? She's like, we're in this together. Azrael feels that Mercer doesn't trust his plan. He says that he's placed capacitors inside the abyss to harness the dust flow, so it's simply a, sw- a switch mechanism. But when the detonator is released, the energy coils collide and create an energy surge. And it may be powerful enough to destabilize the entire clouded mountain. So he's going to go there. He's going to make sure that when his house comes down, Metatron goes into that abyss. And she's like, how exactly do you intend on doing that? And he's like, sheer physical force. He says that angels are envious of them up there, their flesh, their blood, their short and vital lives. They have none of it. So he's, he has to believe That flesh is stronger than spirit. She says that she doesn't think that he can be certain of that. And he's like, you know, the only thing I've ever been certain of, that I was born to change a world. Now it seems that destiny belongs to someone else. I've given the girl nothing, but at the very least, I can buy her time. So it's kind of nice that he's now, you know, trying to he's starting he believes in Lyra, even though he is just always, you know, dismissing her. So she's like, You do that for her, but then I don't know if he's just covering himself or what. He's like, not just for her. If I succeed in bringing him to the abyss, will you detonate the device? And she looks at him. You know, She's like, even if you get to the abyss, you do understand it's not just death down there. It's eternal oblivion. And he's like, mm-hmm. So he's going to give his life for everyone. Zafani so is meditating. She says to Marissa to ask whatever she wishes. She walks in. And Marissa's like, we're doomed, aren't we? For all of Azra's planning, we have no idea what we're about to face. Zafania says nothing. Marissa's like, come on. She's like, you see so much, and yet you share so little. Then she's like, please tell me how it ends. Zafania's like, you don't need me to. Marissa has already made up her mind. Her love for Lyra is her salvation and her downfall. It's like, when you think of her, it's like, I can, you know, she's, I can read you as easily as a reflection in the water. She's like, you have it an extraordinary power to suppress the best of yourself. When the time comes, use it. Metatron is a seer. A mortal who has not confronted their own darkness is as helpless as a child before him. Marissa's like, well then, Azrael's no match for him, so we are doomed. Several of witches hover in the air. Tons of soldiers stand gathered. Azrael speaks to them all. You know, he's like a loudspeaker. He's like, some of us will die today. And he's like, the authority wants them to be afraid of that, and why not? He's like, they're all mortal. Whether their lifespans are three or 300 years, their time down here in the earth is finite. So they cower under the tyranny of an authority who calls himself creator, who tells us that hell awaits those who disobey him, and the paradise exists only for those who obey. He's like, this is a lie, a lie that has prevented us from living our lives to the utmost. Today is our chance to tell him that our lives are beautiful and precious and that we should be allowed to experience all that they have to offer without the fear of retribution. Because if we don't fight until the end, we will lose everything. So yes, today, some of you will die, but thanks to my daughter, thanks to Lyra, we need no longer fear that fate for from today death is no longer an ending but instead a journey back to into life so from today the authority has no power over us today life confronts death and our light shines through the darkness today we will tell him that our children shall experience paradise but they will know it down here in the earth today we are free daniel cheer we are free we are free the cloud mountain has reached them seraphina says the kingdom of heaven is nigh. Azrael says, "Let's bring it down, then, shall we?" Azrael gets into an attention craft and he flies to the cloud. just Thunder lights inside um, to Stelmaria. Maria. He's like, "I'm glad I said we didn't have to win this fight." Stel Maria's like, "So there are advantages to not being the chosen one." We'll ask Lyra if she's ready, and she's like, "Sure." She's like, "It can't be worse than the land of the dead, can it?" Uh, at the battle, several witches fly up besides Azrael's craft. Several angels appear alongside Azrael as well. He he chuckles, but they're still outnumbered. You see, like all these like orange, you know, they're, the angels are like, bluish, but the other ones are kind of like reddish, orangish, and there's like a lot more. Will makes another cut. Zafoni is like, they're here. Azrael hears her words and he's like, to the south, where the mountains rise from the plateau. And and Azrael's like, attack! Seraphina screams. As, as you know, they fly into the enemy Azrael tells a gunway, it's time and he's like head to the southern perimeter and Azrael starts shooting like a gun from his craft so, like it's got weapons like, like shooting at the angels ahead of it from a distance Lyra and Will can see the lights of the battle so they're there now mm-hmm. Will's asked he's like how are we going to find Pan in all of this and she's like well at least we're in the same world as him and she's like Pan and your demon will be together looking after each other Zephania so gasps and tells uh, Mrs. Coulter that she's needed, uh, and she's like, for Lyra? So Metatron is releasing the demon eaters. He's turning all creatures against us. At first I was like, "Why? what can Marissa do? I totally forgot about what, what she could do. There's screeching specters flying. They move over a camp full of armed soldiers. As they, they move out, then the specters can be like her, her, like growling. Marissa looks out over to camp. She's, like, on a balcony. The specters start attacking. They fly, like, all around a person, like, and then it's, like, just kills them. Marissa stands with her eyes closed, and then she raises her hands, and she's, like, come to me. Soldiers uh, line up, are shooting, but then they stop because they see all the, the specters start going up to where Marissa's standing, and then she, like, shoves her hands out, and she, like, screams, and then whoosh, she, like, obliterates them all. So I totally forgot that when she first went into the other world where the other knife bearer was and, and that whole world was, was uh, over, overrun by these spirits that went after the adults, that she was able to control them. So I guess you know she did that as, as well here. So Will and Lyra are walking. They hear like a creaking in the distance. Azrael and Seraphina fly next to each other. The battle's still going up, up in the air. Um, Seraphina's demon Kaizet tells her that she found uh Pentale Lamion. I can never say his whole name. And Seraphina flies off, and Azrael continues firing. He's you know gonna fight while she, she goes. Will and Lyra come face to face with some soldiers. A gunway is there. He tells him, He said, like, Put down that knife. He's like, You're Will and you're Lyra. And she's like, Who are you? I am Commander Agunway, and I'm here to protect you. I'll take you to Azrael's camp. Will's like, Well, I can cut you know cut us there and he's like no do not use that blade and Lyra's like he'll do what he wants because she's you know stubborn and annoying is like you see those angels up there now that you're in this world they can sense when you use the blade they'll know you're separated from your demons, and they will tr- you know they will target them we need to keep moving it is not safe here Seraphina flies to Kaisa and then she calls out to Pan says that you know he's been through so much pain but he must be reunited with Lyra they're in grave danger so Pan is in his uh, red panda form. He's hidden in this little little cavern. Then Pan quietly is like, they left us. And Seraphine is like, I know, but they have come back for you. We have to hurry. Will you trust me? And then you see next to Pan, there's this little gray cat. So that must be Will's demon. And then she tells Pan to take his bird form. But then somehow they both do. So Will's demon can take a bird form. hasn't. Settle on a form either, I guess. So they both turn into birds. Lyra asks Gunway if her father sent him, and he like shush. He like shushes her because they're screeching nearby, and she's like, "Do you trust him? You shouldn't. He uses people." A Gunway's like, "All I know is Azriel is proud of you," and she's like, "No, he isn't." And a Gunway's like, "I personally heard heard him chanting your name in front of hundreds of his own troops," and she's like, "I I don't know why he'd do that." This uh, bad angel starts approaching Serafina as they're flying. It's like they're flying behind them. And she senses them, and then she, like, dives down. You know, they all start going down, like, st- st- towards the ground. She starts chanting this spell, and then some, like, black smoke or explosion, whatever, goes after the, the angel and takes it out. A gunway senses that they're all around him. So he has his soldiers take their positions kind of, like, in this big circle. They turn on the lights to kind of look. Look. And then they start shooting as as the they start leaping out, they're like cliff gas or whatever spirits. And he yells at the kids, head to the tower. At the camp, soldiers are grabbing more ammo. Then Metatron whispers, "One brave soldier, join me, serve me. There is no heaven for heretics. I am your only salvation." Then he, you know. Then he starts saying it again loudly. He there's "Only salvation." The soldiers are kind of being forced to their knees, and he says that he is their creator. He's like, strike down his enemies, and they will be forgiven. Resist him, and they'll be damned. Mrs. Coulter goes down some stairs, and she hears, I am your only hope. So she goes out to this other balcony thing, and she's like, show yourself to me. The rumbling like intensifies, and she can see kind of like some structures, the building in the clouds. This path leads out from the balcony to the clouds, and Metatron's like, you intrigue me. She starts walking. Like towards this like new path, this bridge. You are unusual. You control those specters as if they were your playthings. Join me. She crouches. She looks at a monkey. They like, stare at each other, and she's like, "You know what to do." And then she walks down the path alone, overhead, Azrael sees her. and He's like, "What is? She, what the heck is she doing?" He's like, swoops down, and then he flies into like the bright gate instantly. He finds himself standing like in a fancy hallway, his craft's gone, and Sal Maria's gone. He like calls out Sal Maria. He calls, then he's like Marissa. So somehow, even though they went through the same gate, she's like in this different hallway, and there, so it's kind of like these mazes. You know, there's like you know different branches and stuff like that, or, like intersections of hallways. Then she sees an angelic form, like uh, up the path. It's like really bright, and she bends to a knee and she's like great regent i wish to be of service to you he's like you wish to serve no one but yourself you are a cesspit of moral filth do not lie to me so she gets up she's like we only seek what we are denied who were you before you had power did you not crave it too metatron's like i was a man then he like changes from an angel form to like a shadowy man form human form he says that he was ruthless but fallible, not unlike her. And she's says, they say spirit envies flesh. Metatron's like, why would I envy weakness? Flesh is vulnerable. Its power is crude. So he's like right up to her now, like in his dorky human form. And she's like, flesh has its pleasures. He's like, you do this very well, don't you? No wonder the mortal men are convinced. He asks, you know, why did she call to him? If she lies again, he'll extinguish her like a flame. And she says that she was curious. She wanted to meet him. Azrael's screamings from his section, I am here. And then somehow Metatron's talking to him too. So I guess he can split himself. He's like the arrogance of man. Do you think you can fight nature itself? Azrael asks him to come down and prove him wrong. Metatron goes on about how Azrael is ready to to take a war to heaven, but he won't even confront himself that he's you know, all alone, he's like, what is it that scares him so much? Then he's like, ah, I see it. it is, it's resentment of your own daughter. And Metatron comes face to face. Um, he's like in Azrael's form, and Azrael's like, maybe, but I'm not afraid of you. Metatron's eyes as Azrael glows, and he's like, that is a lie. And Azrael goes for his gun, but he finds it's gone. Then Metatron is gone, and he whispers, he's like, face yourself. With Marissa, Metatron says that he's here because he chose her. If he wished she could transcend her human form, Uh, she wouldn't diminish herself or be shamed for her strength. The multiverse would be hers to command. And she's like, what are you offering me? He's like, immortality. In the past, chosen few have become angels. It's not happened for millennia, not since the fall of man. You thought of Eve? Interesting. You're attempting to conceal something from me. I see attachment, a weakness. Regret, shame, love. Lyra and Will are walking, and the Metatron's still talking to her. He's like, "Your daughter, Lyra." And then she's like, "Yes, I do love Lyra. I love her, and I hate that I do." With Azrael, the other Metatron, whatever, he is like, "Do you have no words of supplication to your creator before your death?" And Azrael's like, "Yo, not to creator. You're not even the authority. You're just hiding behind him, like you're hiding behind me now." Uh, Metatron says that he is in all things what he is in is far beyond, beyond his comprehension he's like no it's not It's like you're an angel and before that you were a man named Enoch either way you're just a person so he's been standing behind Azrael in his Azrael form and Azrael elbows him to the face he turns around knees him a couple times and he punches him and he headbutts him Metatron then like kicks him sends him flying into the wall and he like falls to the floor he's like how easily you bleed it's like, you thought you were going to liberate worlds? So he's like, the sooner he accepts his own failure, the sooner this can be over. Azrael chuckles. He's like, your land of the dead is no more. You put me in the grave, you should just set me free. He's like, you're going to have to do more than kill me. And Metatron's like, oh, when I do, no one will even remember you. Lyra's like, says that they're getting closer. She can feel a pan. Uh, Mersa, talking to Metatron, she's like, she makes me feel weak. It's not who I am. When she looks at me, all I see is disdain. And she's like, I want the feeling gone. And he's like, relinquish it. Let her go. Azrael, uh, Metatron, tells him that he's completely alone. No one cares for him. He's like, Marissa does. And he's like, she's here, isn't she? Uh, Metatron tells Marissa to free herself. And she's like, she's a part of me. Azrael starts calling to her, like, wherever he's at. Metatron says that he can see inside her heart that she is capable of such betrayal. And she's like, yes, I am. I am. The other Metatron says, "Azrael, he's like, oh, you still love her, even though she's given you up." And he's like, "He's like, never. That he, you know, she would never give him up." And he's like, "Yeah, I still love her." Merce is like, "I can give you Lyra." So Merce is gonna betray them. Azrael says, "She would never betray me, but she, she is." Then Merce is like, "I can give you Azrael," <laughs> and he's trying to protect her. Metatron says that. He doesn't need her to give him to her that Azrael because he's already broken him. And she chuckles. She's like, Show me. The wall behind her kind of like dissolves, and Azrael's just lying on the ground. And Metatron's like, Look at him. He knows he's beaten. Coulter's like, Wait, I want to see. I, I want him to see my face. I want him to see what I've done. So she walks up to him. and He like looks up to her. He's like, Marissa, no. Seraphina arrives at the base. She tells. Pan and Will's cat to stay here and hide. It won't be long now. Will and Lyra find some soldiers that have turned on each other, so they're kind of like watching and hiding. Some are making others get on their knees and pray or something like that. Seraphina like appears before them, and she says that their, their demons are in the tower. And then she's like, cut them through to a safe world, and then she'll find them wherever they are. Metatron asks Azrael how it feels, disowned by his child and now betrayed by the woman he loves. Lyra calls out to Pan, he crawls out from his hiding spot. He's like, so you did come? And he doesn't seem too excited. Will's cat demon comes out too. She looks at, at Will, and he's then she's like, Will? This <laughs> is so the first time she's spoken. Pan asks Lyra, she's like, how could you bear it, you know, leaving him behind? So he's, like, really upset. Azrael tries pushing himself away from Mercer and Metatron. He's, you know, he's still on his back. He's, you know, he's kicking back. And then he gets to the edge of the landing. And like crouches down. Lyra says that they should be together, please. And Will's like, I'll cut you, know, you a window to somewhere safe. Marissa tells Azrael, look at his fate. She's like, look at your fate. Metatron grabs Azrael's chest, and he like groans for some reason. But then Will cuts a hole, and Metatron releases, and he stands. The night bearer is in this world. He's with your daughter. Marissa closes her eyes. Pan and the other um, go through the hole. The monkey runs down the stairs, and Lyra like watches it, and she kind of goes to follow it. It runs, hits the switch, and all the capacitator things light up. There's some rumbling, and Azra's like for Lyra, and then Marissa helps him up. They both grab Metatron. Stel Maria starts running towards them, like barely staying ahead of like the wave of decomposing dust or whatever like that. She like jumps up, like with her mouth open. All four of them fly over the edge. Azrael and Marissa—they still have a grip on Metatron. They're just like falling, and falling. Lyra stares at the monkey, and he just looks back at her with this like sad eyes. The place in the cloud starts crumbling. Metatron's like yelling. Azrael looks up and sees Maria turning to dust. The monkey reaches out to Lyra, like reaches his hands out. She um, reaches her hand out, and the monkey turns to dust as before they touch. And Marissa's just like falling. Lyra, like, starts crying, like, wipes her eyes because she knows that her mom's dead. Uh, Serafina, she's, like, you know, she's, like, the, the battle's over. The cloud dissipates. Soldiers start to get up. Will and Lyra walk to the balcony. It's, it's, like, daytime now. It's bright. And she's, like, the cloud's gone. It's all gone. The war's over. And Will's, like, Azrael's won. And she's, like, I think so. They, like, walk through the camp, and then there's this giant cube from that, like, cloud that, like, fell it's like in the middle of camp. They hear like something in there. Will's like, "Well, I'll cut through." I'd be like, um, "I'd be a little cautious." Um, meanwhile, Algunway is reunited with both his daughters. So it seems like his daughters, I think his daughter's back to normal because she was like in a trance before. Inside the cube, there's like this old like angel cowering, like laying on this like little thing, and then it turns to dust and it's gone. Seraphina smiles at Ogunway and his kids. Then Lyra asks Will if they can go now because she wants to see Pan. He cuts and they walk through. And that ends. One more episode. So that was the war. So I guess they defeated Metatron. But where is the actual authority? Was that the authority in the cube? Was he in there hiding? Did Metatron have him locked up? So I'm, I'm a little confused about that. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to know who that was because I don't think that was Metatron in the cube that died because he fell over with them. But now Marissa and... Azriel are dead too, because their their demons are gone. Yeah. I guess it's a good thing there's only one more episode because everyone's gone. All right. So now to keep things sequentially as they they come out during the week, we're gonna talk about Star Wars: The Bad Batch. So the show's back, and with the first season, I, I did. There, so I don't know how I really feel about Omega, and I know Omega is supposed to be like this big deal because Omega is is a unaltered clone. So that means that you know she is more superior in some ways, because you know there's there's no possible flaws or or I don't know. But at the same point, it's like how I still don't know how they changed her gender if she's a clone of of Django. And um, but part of the thing is she can still be a little annoying. But she's young, so I guess we have to excuse that. So um, I, I guess I have to say it is kind of a good thing that we had two episodes this week because the first episode, the way it ended, it, it like wasn't even like, I guess you could call it a cliffhanger, but it was just like, wait, there's, there's, you can't just end it there. So season two, episode one, Spoils of War. It starts off the clones are like running through the trees on like some beach Wrecker's carrying like this big crate and they're being chased by these creatures because uh, the plan to retrieve the stuff didn't go according, you know, didn't go smoothly. Things didn't go according to plan. Um, I think record uh, hit some pods. that woke these creatures up or something like that. So Meg is sitting on a ship. She's like waiting Um Tech is on there too, and he comments about her taking a break and not reading the scanner because she's supposed to be trying to learn about every ship, um, in the, whatever, uh, in the, in the Imperial Fleet or whatever diff- different types of ships. But then Hunter calls Tech about needing to get a pickup, and then they they tried taking off, but the ship gets attacked by some uh the big crap creatures because there's like a like a line that was out. Like, I don't know if they were fishing or something too or whatever. So then of course Omega falls out but catches onto the line that the one is hooked onto. She was able to shoot it with like her energy bow and and she shoots from where she's at. She's able to shoot a couple off the top of the ship. So as annoying as it is that she fell off, it was kind of I guess advantageous that she did. She gets back in, then they you know they drop the line to the others and they come up with the crate. So everything is fine, right? then hunter says to her that he appreciates uh the backup but you know he wants her to, next time to stay inside the shit and she's like well i'll try but it was so pretty fun So it's like oh my god you know eyes rolling they go back to sid's place to you know deliver the tech and they they find some lady in with sid in her office and i don't know if we're supposed to know who she was i didn't look it up i don't i don't know i feel like she may have been in the clone wars but i could be wrong so Sid apparently told her, her about them being cl- um, clones on a run from the Empire and everything like that. And they're like, wait, should you be, you know, why are you telling everyone this? And Sid's like, oh, don't worry about it. She's, you know, one of my most trustworthy, or mo- one of the most trustworthy pirates I know. And then uh, Rucker has to help her carry the crate. So it's like the crate that they retrieved was for her. It's like they didn't even bother checking it or anything like that. But she gave Sid some intel for their next mission. So, Sid tells him that they're going to the Outer Rim, and she turns on this holo, and then Tech comments that it's a Castle Sereno. It's the former home of Count Dooku. And Omega's like, who's that? And Sid says that, you know, with, with Dooku being dead, his entire war chest is up for grabs. The Empire has already started pillaging the palace, but there's still time to go before everything is gone. And Hunter's like, no, it's like too much of a risk. Which, if you think about it, it's like, they don't wanna be seen by the Empire, but you're gonna to go to Count Dugu's place where the Empire is like there retrieving his stuff. And then, yeah, it seems like a crazy idea. Then Hunter's like testing Omega on like, different shuttle crafts and stuff like that. Meanwhile, Sid is talking to Echo Tech and Wrecker. And then she's like, okay, then we just have to convince you know Hunter. And so he overhears them and Wrecker's like, oh yeah, we, we took a vote and we wanna go after the war chest. So Hunter says that Sereno is in the Empire-occupied space, and you know they've stayed off their radar since Camino. so why chance it now? And Sid says because the contents of just one of those containers would be worth more than all of the jobs that they pulled for her combined, so they could buy their freedom. And Hunter's like, we're already free. And she's like, oh, it's cute that you think that. She's like, it's only a matter of time until Empire comes there to her place, then her little operation would be over, and that would mean no more jobs for them. If they were to pull off this heist, then they'd have the means to disappear and they could have a future. So it seems weird. So she's basically saying, yeah, if you do this, then you can be free. And then she loses like her, some of her best operatives. I don't know if, how many other people she has doing jobs for her, but obviously these guys are good and you know, they have skills and all that. So she's basically like, like, yeah, do this job and then you won't be working for me anymore. But Hunter looks over at Omega and then he basically changes his mind because he realizes he doesn't want, you know, this life for her. Or he wants her to be able to have a future. So Echo talks to Hunter on the ship and he says that he knows why he agreed to the mission, but he's like, they can do better things with the fortune than hide. With what they're up against, you know, they have to be prepared to fight. And that means, you know, numbers and weapons. Hunter says that that's not the kind of life the kid deserves. Echo says, yeah, but their lives are like this because of Omega. And Echo says that, you know, taking her off Camino was the right thing to do, but there are others out there who need their help as, as well. And they, they've seen what the Empire is doing throughout the galaxy, so they should be doing more. And of course, Omega overhears this conversation from her little room. So she's like going to be feeling bad. The shuttle lands, the five head out, they they get to where the city used to be, and it's like decimated. So there's Imperial orbital bombardment, same thing that they did on Camino. But they get close to the castle and they see like these big freighter ships like are starting to get transport, you know, like taking stuff off of the planet. Tech says that their window of opportunity is quickly closing. Echo says that there's over 40 troopers down there by the ships. And Rucker's like, oh, that's nothing. But Echo mentions that there are Imperial escort ships for each ship as well. Hunter says that, you know to head to nearest container grab what you can he'll beat eyes on the ground he'll stay around there and if things go sideways he'll basically call cause a diversion as they they get close to like the uh to the container that the second one of the three freighters takes off so now you know th- this is our last sh- shot there's some roaming security patrols so they have to be careful hunter starts like planning explosives around just you know th- th- i guess planning ahead Rucker, then, you know, they, they open a container to get in, but Rucker stuns a trooper that was walking nearby. And then um, they're, they're like, well, don't, what if he has to check in? You know, they're going to know that he's, he's missing or something like that. But they start looking through the crates for, like, different high-value items. The other one, of the, the troopers notices that that guy, the one trooper, hasn't checked in. So they hear the guy's calm as they're calling him, so they tell Hunter that they're going to need a diversion now. So he sets off the explosion. Troopers head towards the explosion, and um, they get a chance to start taking some stuff, but the the troopers aren't sure what caused the explosion. So one orders the third transport to leave. The door closes while Omega Tech and Echo are inside. So Echo says the container is externally sealed, so he can't open it. So now it's starting to go up into orbit, or it's it's taken off, it's not in orbit yet, but it's taken off, and they they're stuck in there. Hunter and Rucker start stunning some of the troopers nearby, and this is kind of the silly thing is they don't shoot anyone; they they like stun everyone, which is because they're supposed to be the good guys. But it's just okay. So you know they're, they're shooting all, all these um, troopers, whatever. Then they're seen by some others, like a ways off, so they they report that they have a perimeter breach. So then Hunter and Wrecker, they kind of jump on the side of the cargo container, but the ship's still rising, so they end up dropping down onto a building. Tech tells them that if they can get to the ship's main hold, they could probably commandeer an escape pod. Hunter says "Well, um, that they'll get to the Marauder, their, their ship, and, and go after the, the escape pod and pick them up. But Wrecker says that that's going to take a while because he you know, points out that there's a bunch of troopers headed their way. And they're, now they're starting to shoot at them. So they have to duck inside the building. Inside the freighter, they get spotted. Uh, troopers are ordered to release all the escape pods because they figured that they're going to try to you know, jump out of there. So now they need to figure out another way off. But then Omega's like, this is a class four freighter, right? and so basically containers on class four freighters are equipped with re-entry thrusters so they can escape in a cargo container and tech like looks at a scanner he's like you are correct so he's he's like i'm impressed so all her studying did pay off however the containers must be ejected before leaving the atmosphere so more troopers find them they start shooting they're running they have to leave um, the crate behind and so you know they're, they're they were carrying some stuff that they wanted to take with them, they had to leave it there. So hopefully they'll be able to grab something else. Hunter and Rucker are pinned inside um, this big room. At first I thought it was like Doku's throne room or something like that, but there's there's this big control panel, so maybe it was. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But they're getting shot at. They're hiding behind this, this control panel thing, and it appears that they're actually standing on some sort of lift. So there's no other way out. So Hunter tries activating it, but then the controls get shot, so it gets jammed. Rucker's like, well, I'll I'll take care of it. So he starts jumping on it, and Hunter's like, no, and then whoosh, it just falls. They they go straight down. Tech released a cargo containers, and so now they're all falling, but the re-entry thrusters aren't activating. And the container is falling and tumbling, and then that's where the episode ends. So it's like, it's like, like, that's it? You can't can't end it there. So then season two, episode two, ruins of war. We see the container. It's like gaining speed. Omega's like, don't worry. It's like the re-entry thruster should activate soon. We're waiting, waiting. Then they finally start up. But the problem is that they can't steer or control where they land, so they have no idea where they're going. Hunter and Rucker try finding a way out out from where they're at. Tekken informs them that they should be crashing up north by some trees soon. When it does touch down, it's just like slides and we smash it through a bunch of stuff. They stop, of course... Teetering like on a cliff edge, but they don't realize because they can't see outside. So they don't know that they're like on the edge. Then as they're walking, it starts teetering over. And then uh, Tech ends up getting hit by like a falling crate. And he tells them, you know, he's just like, oh, my left femur has been fractured by approximately 150 kilograms of pressure. So basically, he, he broke his leg. Echo climbs up to, to check where they've landed. And he's like, oh, we still haven't landed. So they're like on the edge of another like cliff like outcrop out, out or whatever a clone trooper commander is uh, told that the containers crashed in the forest he wants confirmation that the thieves inside didn't survive and then this other one shows him a grappling hook that they found so they know that the, the the other two hunter and wrecker that they've made their way into the city so they're i don't know how many troopers but they're like spreading them all out everywhere to try to find everything so at the container they manage to pull tech up outside But now they have to hide, they have to get away from the container. But Omega's like, we can't just leave the war chest. Echo's like, well, we don't have time. We have to get out of here. Hunter and Wrecker see that they're setting up a perimeter search. Hunter says that they'll be monitoring the comm channels. So he calls Tech and he's like, Havoc 2, the fourth sun is setting. Plan double zero. And Omega's like, what's that mean? And Tech says it, it means go radio silent. So Omega notices someone's behind them. They're being followed. And then Omega comes up behind some old dude and he says that he, he lives there. His name is Romar. Then Echo and Tech come up and Echo says that he could be working for the Empire. And he's like, me? He's like, aren't you working for the Empire? So Tech detects a heat signature nearby. So he figures that must be where the dude lives. And he's like, how would how'd you know that? Or how would you figure that out? So he he's like, well, I guess I'm supposed to take you there, huh? So then uh, the clone captain, the trooper captain, is told that they have eyes on half of the containers, but no sign of anyone, but they did receive a coded transmission. So he knows that this means that they survived the crash. So he says 50 containers were released. He wants eyes on all 50. Tech informed the old dude that they're on the run from the empire. Omega wants to head back to container to get as much of the war chest as they can, but Echo says it's too dangerous. The troopers might already be at the crash site, Omega's again insisting. She's like, we can't just leave empty-handed. He's like, we have to complete the mission. The old dude says that they should stay away from the cursed war chest. He's like, do you think Dooku funded his war effort by only stealing from the outside worlds? Like, no, he took from us, his own people. His quest for power is why our city is now buried in rubble. Omega says that they'll help him get it back. You know, there's enough for all of them, but he's like, I want none of it. He's like, let the Empire take it. He's like, the sooner they're gone, the better. Same goes for you. He's like, no offense. Rucker and Hunter, they managed to make it to an old Separatist tank. And there's like a couple of them. They're trying it, but there's no power in either of them. Uh, but unfortunately, they don't realize this. They're spotted from a distance, like, like through the binoculars or whatever. Omega's watching the dude in the room below. Um, Echo and Tucker arguing about the, the Empire's growing stronger. They're doing nothing about it. Echo, he gets frustrated, so he goes out. Dude comes back up with some stuff. Then Tech asks if the container, he's got this one thing. He's like, is that a Separatist archive? And dude's like, it's like not separatist. He's like Serenian. So then Tech says that he can help him like open it up. But then Omega gets an idea because she's still like in the room below. You can probably figure it out, she's gonna go back to the container. Rucker manages to get one of the cannons working from the tanks and he like dismantles it, takes it off. And then they start getting shot at. The shuttle comes at them. He shoots it down and he he starts laughing and everything like that. Tech tells the dude that his data has been restored and he's surprised and he's pleased. And an echo come in. He's like, where's Omega? And a dude notices because Omega was looking at this kaleidoscope thing and it's like lying on the ground. And he's like, oh, my repelling cable is gone. So they both go out after her. Hunter and Rucker are trying to get to the Marauder while they're being chased. Some troopers on speeder bikes detect like another container nearby, so they go to check it out, which of course is the one that, that Omega's headed to. So Echo gets to the container, sees that the cable, and calls down to Omega. Speeder bikes arrive and start shooting when they see Echo. So he jumps down using the cable. Surprisingly, the cable gets shot. So We have to assume that was a lucky shot, right, since stormtroopers are horrible shots? So he jumps inside the container, he closes the door. Omega holds up a backpack and is like, look, I packed it with all the shiny stuff. There's like a bunch of jewels and stuff like that. And he's like, did you hear the blaster fire? He's like, we need to go. Troopers outside request for backup. They think that they have one thief pinned because they don't realize that Omega's in there too. So then they're told a gunship is underway. Tech hobbles up and he manages to stun one, but then there's still two others. They start firing at him and he's like hiding behind a tree. Hunter and Rucker reach the Marauder. They, um, they're going to head to Tech, but then three of uh, the escort ships start firing on them. So Tech manages to take uh, the two out, the two guards, and then he falls over. As far as the container, it starts shifting. Omega falls, and then the jewels fall out of the backpack. So she tries, like, scooping them back in, but then they slide over the edge, and Echo's like, the whole container is about to fall over. And she's like, no, I can still get them back. She's like, I have to. And Echo's like, "Like, forget about the war chest. He's like, it's not important. And she's like, yes, it is. I heard what you said to Hunter on the Marauder, that you don't have a normal life because of me. And Echo's like, he's like, please. He's like, you have to let it go. He's like, we, and they just like barely make it out before the container falls over. So the old dude wakes up tech. He said that he heard blaster fire and he thought that he might need some help. And he's like, and I guess I was right. So tech calls down to echo and Omega. Another shuttle approaches, starts firing at them. More speeder bikes show up. Tech takes them out with, you know, the other stormtroopers had like a cannon set up there. The marauder arrives, they get in, um, the dude, the old dude, he tosses a kaleidoscope to Omega, tells her to keep it. And he's like, remember what I said, whatever. He's like, now get going. He's like, more will be on the way. And Tech's like, well, what about you? He's like, oh, you know me. I'm a survivor. So he's going to stay there. On the ship, Echo comes up to Omega. And she says that she's sorry that they lost a the war chest. And he's like, oh, we'll manage without it. And she's like, but I wanted to make things better for you. She's like, she says that she knows that they gave up everything because of her. Echo says it's a good thing they did or they might be fighting for the empire right now or worse so they made the right choice and he says he'd do it all again. The trooper captain dude, he is visited by Vice Admiral Rampart. So Rampart was in season 1, you know, he's like going after the clone force, you know, he's been charged to go after them or whatever. So uh, the trooper captain tells him that they've recovered 85% of the war chest and he'll improve that number. Rampart says that his failure to ensure to transfer to cargo is not while he's here. He's there to address some inaccuracies in his mission report. He says, you stated the would-be thieves you encountered were the rogue clones from Experimental Unit 99, yet that is impossible. Their squad perished during the fall of Tipoka City. The captain's like, well, your intel was incorrect, sir. He's like, I had visual confirmation on two of them. He's like, they're alive. Rampart's like, I see. He's like, if government, Governor Tarkin were to learn of my misstep, then I would be at risk, and that cannot happen, which is why a new report will be submitted, one void of any mention of Clone Force 99. He turns to leave, and the captain's like, sir. He's like, I will not falsify an official report. Rampart says, like, I understand. He's like, I will, and he's like pointing a blaster at him. He shoots him, and he falls over the edge of like a cliff, and that's where the episode ends. So Rampart knows they're alive, so that's bad news for them, but no one else knows. It's like the good news is that he doesn't want like Tarkin to know that he messed up, so they have that at least. So the first two episodes, like I said, they're they were they were fine. They're they're I I. I feel like I like them more than some of the episodes. I, I don't know. So I, I'm, I'm glad it's back. So we'll have more of that next week. Okay, then with National Treasure, Edge of History, Season 1, Episode 5, Bad Romance. So I, I kind of joke about the show. Like some of the things are kind of eye-rolling. There's all a, a, so much like, current stuff that they mentioned some things are just way too convenient way too cheesy but it feels like it's gotten better with the last episode and probably like the third episode but now with the fifth episode there's it's like oh my gosh are you there's just some things that are just just kind of ridiculous so it starts out on billy's jet they're always on billy's jet and i don't feel i don't think that they're just like sitting at the airport it's like are they just constantly flying like back and forth all over the place it's like whatever. So Casey's impressed that that girl stole the recording from Graceland. And she's like, she's scrappy. So then this new, the new dude that appeared like last episode, whatever his, his name is Dario, by the way, he's like, Oh, she may be scrappy, but she's no match for my tech. And he pulls up this video of like a pyramid, the feathered serpent, so it's an ancient Mayan snake deity that appears only twice a year during the equinoxes. So when the sun sets, the serpent looks like it descends the steps. He's like, it's an illusion caused by the setting of the sun and the shadow cast by the, the temple. And he's like, I just need to figure out where this is. Billy, of course, like, it's in Chichen Itza. <laughs> so of course, she knows everything because she says that she figured it out from the clues. And she says it. This would be incredible if they were looking for a serpent's tail, T A I L. She thinks that Elvis Clue was referring to a tail, tale, T A L E. So, written by the the twin tongued serpent, Cortez, Cortez's translator and member of the Daughters of the Plumed Serpent, Balinche. Dario's like, Oh. And she's like, Oh, isn't going to find it for us, Dario. He sits up and he goes to like Wikipedia in case he's like, He's like, this is your high tech, <laughs> you know, because he's using Wikipedia. He pulls up a bunch of stuff like all over. I, like, he's got like super shortcuts on his keyboard, like all this stuff happens. And he's like the Ascatilian Codex mentioned Malinche, but there's nothing written by Malinche. And Billy's like, he's, asked. he's like, well, if nobody knows about it, how are we going to find it? <laughs> Which that's like the whole point of what they're trying to do is find things that people can't find. She's like, because we have well-to-do friends in low places. Tasha, meanwhile, has a scanner. And she says to Jess, she's like, sweeping for bugs is a waste of time. And she's, so apparently she's also like a bug expert because she makes YouTube videos. So she knows how everything about bugs. Tasha says, and, and this, my whole thing was, I, I was like, they probably bugged his computer. or Sandusky's computer. So Tasha says she's like five minutes ago. You know, you were convinced it was Liam, and Jess is like, I know. She's like, but I can't just accuse him of something if, if I'm not sure of it. And Tasha's like, Well, we weren't bugged, so she like scanned the whole place and couldn't find any any bugs there. But Jess is like, Liam's not a traitor. He's doing this for his dad, just like I am. And then she's like, What about Oren? He's an oversharer, and we did play the clue for him the other night. And Tasha's like, Nope. I already checked all his conspiracy subreddits, so <laughs> eye roll here. Uh, so basically, you know, wouldn't there be like tons of posts on a subreddit, of, especially if it's a conspiracy subreddit? And I mean, and maybe I guess if she looked at his posts, like if she went to his account and see what he posted, but it's just whatever. So Tasha's is she's like certain it's Liam, and then Jess's phone dings. It's Liam. And Tasha's like, don't answer that. And just like, he wants to go to the governor's mansion. He wants her to go to the governor's mansion with him to check out Meriwether Lewis's journal. And Tasha's like, oh, just ghost him. And just the fact that they used the the phrase ghost him, it's like they're trying to be like cutting edge on hip terminology. Jess is like, well, why would he ask her to go with him if he's the mole? And Tasha says that he's clearly using her to feed information to Billy. And Jess is like, well, what if, you know, I'm wrong about Sacagawea? She's like, I need to look at at Lewis's journal and find that clue. So, you know, she'd better do it now. At an auction house, Billy walks in just interrupting the bidding process. And she's like, you know, the last time I saw them, whatever was being sold or being bid on, it's like, they were in the British Museum. Now they're here in your little black market auction. Don't worry, I won't tell. And in the bitters, side, like the, all the people are like mumbling to each other about something, and then she tells the auctioneer that she comes bearing gifts. So this is all in the middle of this auction process. You know, she's doing this in front of all these people. Like, who cares? What their time? She says the, the one thing. It's it's the one thing that he wanted for a long time. So she opens this case, and it belonged to uh, this famous Roman emperor, and dude's like, Caligula's lost mosaic. And he, it's so stupid. He reaches out to touch it and she's like, don't touch. So it's like, this guy works at this black market auction place, with super old and rare stuff. And he's going to touch this. It's like, you're such an idiot. So she goes on describing about where it was said to have been different times throughout history. And he's like, what do you want for it? And she's like, Malinche's last codex. And so it's like, this is all in front of the other bidder, so who cares if, if they know what she's up to or whatever. But he's like, that doesn't exist. And, but she's like, she's like oh, I know you have it. So then it it says that they're at the Cayman Islands, British, overseas territory in a vault. So I don't know if the auction place was in the same place, but it was weird that they gave us a location in this scene, like right after. So she asks if she knows how many... Um, so-called experts told her there's no missing codex. And he's like, well, it's actually not a codex. It's Cortez's journal. bolinche made several entries. And Billy's like, so? She really did teach herself how to write. And then she's like, don't you just love a persistent woman? Which is cheesy line, but whatever. Ethan's driving Jess and he comments. And he's like, oh, why are you so quiet? And then she finally's like, Billy got the Elvis clue. It's like somebody leaked it. And he's like, "Oh, that's bad." And she's like, "It's worse." She's like, "We think, actually, Tasha's convinced it's." And Ethan's like, "Liam," and she's like, "Oh, you went there fast." And she says that she's like, "Well, I don't think it's him." And he opened up his entire clue room to us. Why would a traitor do that? And he says that he knows that she likes him, and he gets it. He seems like a good guy, but and he's like, "I just don't think we can rule him out." So they arrive at, at the mansion. Ethan says that the journal has been scrutinized by experts. Wouldn't someone have found something by now? And she's like, well, people don't know what to look for. To them, it's just a journal about a doc. So she wants to get to it before Billy figures it out. They go upstairs. They hear voices in this room. Liam's in there talking to some lady. And Ethan's like, so? <laughs> um, you know, just says that uh, he can't see her or he'll know that she's ghosting him. So they hear the lady say, you know, sorry, the journal's no longer in display. It's to prevent it from deteriorating. So they only bring it up for special events. Because she tells them, well, the good news is if, if you want to see it, you can come to the governor's ball tomorrow. And he's like, oh, is that open to the public? And she's like, of course, at $500 a head, it's a fundraiser for the governor's re-election campaign. And then he comments on the price or whatever. And then just hears him, you know, then he the lady, like, steps out of the room. So he gets on the phone. He's like, hey, I'm going to need you... wire me that money today so is liam working with billy jess comes home tells tasha that liam was at the mansion and tasha asks if he saw her and she's like no and tasha's like hmm and then she's like what tasha's like don't be mad i sent liam a fake email from his bank asking him to change his password and she's like you fished liam and Tasha's like he fell for the oldest trick in the book. He's like that's not my fault. That's on him. Which, the fact that she would even know how to make a fake phishing email thing, which maybe that's not that hard. But I I feel like I know a bit about you know tech and stuff like that, internet stuff. I couldn't generate a fake whatever. So, anyways, she's like it gave me access. And she's like, come check this out. So they're looking at his, his checking account, which is so inappropriate. And she's like, $50,000 was just wired to his bank account. And she's like, Billy was willing to pay you anything for the box. I'm guessing she paid Liam off. And Jess thinks back to Peter saying, trust no one. And Jess mentions that she's about to spend the next six hours working right next to that weasel. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? And Tasha's like, Well, I'll tell you what you're not gonna do It's it's mention anything about the treasure hunts. At the restaurant, she heads out to the table to clean up, and then he comes out there and he's like, It's like, Oh, did, didn't you get my text just you know this earlier? And she's like, She doesn't even look at him, and she's just like, Oh, sorry, my phone died earlier. He's like, Oh, that's a bummer. He's like, I went and checked out the journal. He's like, But I couldn't get a look at it. But it's gonna be on display tomorrow. So I got us two tickets, and she looks at him, she's like, Two tickets. Aren't those like super expensive? And he's like, nah, it's no big. He's like, I was able to swing it. So can you go? And she's like, um, and she keeps like moving, like picking up glasses and wiping tables. Then he's like, are you okay? He's like, I thought you'd be pumped. But she keeps like picking up glasses and all that. She doesn't look at him. And he's like, is this about us yesterday? He's like, I thought you were into it. when they they kissed at the wake. She's like, it's not about that. And he's like, then what is it? And she turns, she's like, Billy knows about the Elvis clue." And she knew at the wake and then he looks at her, he's like, wait, you think that I told her about it? And she just like shrugs. (laughs) He's like, how could you for a second, imagine that I would betray you like that. And she's like, for money. She's like maybe Billy paid you off. He's like, seriously. Then she's like, then how do you explain the 50 grand wired into your bank account? He's like, you looked at my bank account. He's like, I should have seen this coming. This is what treasure hunting does to people, makes you paranoid and suspicious of everyone. And he just like walks out. So Billy calls Dario that she just touched down in Mexico City, but I'm pretty sure he was sitting on her plane. So it's like, does she have more than one? Why? I don't understand. She's like, please tell me my investment in just life just coughed up more clues. He pulls up a screen and it shows some logins. It says like Mole in Baton Rouge. And there's Derek Fredrickson, New Orleans, Louis Cordova, Ecuador, and Olivia Roberts, Vancouver, Canada. So I'm not sure what those people are. Agent Ross walks into that medical examiner's office and she drops off a bag of the deadly plant and she tells him it's toxic and it was in Sadusky's study. And he's like, oh, good work. You know, he's like, but English U doesn't usually kill a person unless they already have one foot in a grave. You know, it's just like, then it can cause cardiac or cardiogenic shock. And she's like, well, he was 87. So Doc's like, okay, his, I think his name's Zeke, Dr. Zeke. Um, he's like, okay, I'll look at his stomach contents. And he says that he knows that there's a lot writing on this for her. And she's like, well, no, it's like my, my boss signed off on this. And he's like, oh, congratulations. And then she goes to leave and he's like, I Googled you. And she like turns around and he's like, you were at the top of your class at Quantico. And she's like, I told my mom to take that off her Facebook page. And he's like, well, she must be very proud of you. But it makes you wonder what top of the class is doing at bottom of the ladder, Baton Rouge. And she's like. All FBI agents must be willing and able to serve anywhere in their jurisdiction. And then she leaves. At the University of Mexico City, Billy goes to his professor's office. And he, um, she's just holding the book out in the open. It's like the super old, ancient whatever. You know, She's wearing gloves, but it's like, come on. She says that she's hoping that he can translate something for her. She says it's Cortez's journal malinche made several entries in it in the nahuatl language and he's like oh amazing he's like a girl just called me recently about malinche's lost writing so this is a dude she talked to on the phone jess tells tasha that she guesses the governor is a fan of ethan's mom's art he came through with a free ticket to the ball tasha says that she's like i thought that's what you wanted and she's like i did but liam will be there and if he's working with Billy, they'll probably be there together. She says, well, does it even matter if they get the journal? You know, Liam has the entire clue room plus Billy's resources. And Tasha's like, stop. He's like, we have pictures of the box, which I don't see what that matters because Billy has the box. I mean, I guess they don't know that Billy opened it. And they also don't know that Billy has a second box. So I guess they don't really know how far you know ahead they are. And she's like, plus, we have your brain, and they don't. And Jess is like, you should have seen how hurt Liam was when I confronted him. Tasha's like, he's guilty. And then Oren knocks and comes in. He's asking if he can hang there for a while, because Ethan and Mina were having morning after breakfast. And he turns on the scanner, and he's like, oh, what's this? And Tasha's like, don't touch that. And then the scanner immediately starts beeping. So then they grab him, and they cover his mouth. Tasha like scans him, takes off his sneaker, and he's like mumbling. He's like, those cost half a G. So he spent $500 $500 on a pair of sneakers. Jess um, writes a note saying that his shoe is bugged. And then Tasha goes on her laptop, turns on one of Oren's, his YouTube channel, because he has his own YouTube channel too, a shoe unboxing video, puts a laptop and a shoe in a closet. And Jess is like, so Liam's not the mole. Oren's shoe's the mole. And Tasha's like, she asks, she's like, when's the last time you wore those? He's like, you don't follow my sneaker Insta? And Jess is like, no. And Tasha's like, absolutely not. So he looks on his phone. He's like, uh, when I came over for trivia night. And Jess is like, that's when we played you to Elvis Clue. And Tasha's like, whoops, my bad. Which is so stupid. And Jess is like, it's okay. She's like, I was convinced too about Liam being the traitor. is still with the professor. He asks if she's sure that this journal belonged to Cortez. And she's like, oh, yes, it's been confirmed and carbon tested professor says that Cortez sent five letters to the ruler of Spain who is very anxious to hear about his investments in a new world he shows her one of the books with a, like one of the letters in Cortez's handwritings because he put like flourishes like uh, everywhere like on his one his writing except for on a capital G so Billy looks at at the book and she looks at, at the journal and she's not happy she's like he sold me a fake Professor's like, well, I doubt whoever sold it knew it was a fake, and then she like just shuts the book like roughly, and she starts to leave. He says that he knows that she's look what she's looking for, the Pan American treasure. He's like, I know it's a myth. He's like, Malinche was a traitor to her people. She didn't leave behind any treasure maps. Billy just drops the book in a wastebasket by the door and leaves. So, but it could be worth some money. Liam is like strumming his guitar in the den. It, it just walks in. You know, he's got his back to her. And she's like, new song? She's like, I'm sorry. She's like, I knocked, but he just like ignores her and he just like writes something down You know, it's about the song he's writing or whatever. And she says that she came to apologize. She knows that he's not the mole. And he's like, yeah, I told you it wasn't me. And she's like, I don't expect you to forgive me, but can you at least look at me? And he says that he's used to people writing him off. He guesses that he thought that she was different. And she's like, if anyone should have given him a benefit of doubt, it was her because she never got it before and she knows how bad it feels. And he's like, how's that even possible? And she's like, that's just how it is. She's like, the minute someone's milk money went missing at school, whose backpack do you think they checked first? The scholarship kid with the last name that no one could pronounce. Liam's like, oh, she's like, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. He's like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, what? She's like, no. She's like, I'm not trying to make you apologize she says that you know he was right she's sorry hunting the treasure made her paranoid the pressure got to her and she's like can you forgive me he like gets up grabs her gives her big smooch and then not to leave things alone she's like out of curiosity what was that 50k for he kind of chuckles and she's like that was dumb she's like i'm sorry he's like no he's like i can tell you and she's like it's none of my business and she's like let's go back to kissing and he says that He's like, Oh, you want to know so bad. And she's like, Nope. She's like never wanted anything less. He's like, okay, fine. I won't tell you that my mom lent me the money to pay the property taxes of this stupid house that I don't even want. And she's like, wow, that is so boring. He's like, we can't go back to kissing after that. Then he's like, well, I'm saving my exciting stories for the ball. He's like, we're still going. Right. And she's like, um, do you own a tux? He's like, Nope. He's like, I've never even worn one before. He's like, but I do know someone who did. So he comes back with this old cheesy like blue grandpa tux, Um, but it's a little big. And she's like, that's okay. I know the best tailor in town. Of course. On Billy's plane, Casey says that uh, they'll find Malinche's codex. She has two other dealers that she can hit up. and So she has better contacts than Billy does. I I doubt it. Um, But Billy's like, there is no codex. He's like, we've missed something. And Dario says that he's like, oh, they found a bug and they put it on a loop an orange sneaker channel. And Billy's like, interesting. That means they're having conversations. They don't want us to hear. Um, I don't think I'd want anyone to hear any of my conversations without me knowing about it. So it's just like, I don't understand it. And then Casey says that um, surveillance just caught Liam and just leaving Suduski's house with a tuxedo. It's like, really? You figured that out? Billy says to find out where they're going. Then Billy. Um, oh, so when Dario found out about the the audio he managed to find the exact right video and he's like he plays you know the part on the audio he plays the exact right part on the video with the same audio but then uh, Billy like looks at, at the, the pause screen of video Jess is in the background in the kitchen and Billy's like "Well, hold on zoom in on her necklace and I'm like oh my god Freaking God It's like, there is no freaking way that they would be able to zoom in on anything in the background of a YouTube video. He, all he does, he just taps, he just hits like one button on his, his keyboard. It automatically zooms in right centered onto her necklace. And then it automatically auto focuses to like near perfect 4K resolution on, on the necklace. There's no way this would happen. This is like beyond CSI you know, enhance, enhance. So she just tapped once. So Billy says, she's like, that medallion was worn by the woman who protected the treasure, the daughters of the plume serpent. She's like, it can't be. They're dead. Rafael Rios, his wife and his baby. And Casey's like, Rafael Rios, the treasure hunter? So I guess he had a name for himself. Um, she's like, yes, he was killed and his wife and daughter died trying to cross the border 20 years ago. At least everyone thought they did. Dara is like, oh, do you think Rafael Reels is just his dad? It's like such a big jumping to conclusion. Billy's like, it's the only thing that makes sense. Like maybe she found it somewhere, like at a pawn shop or, I don't know. Billy says that it's the only thing that makes sense. Um, he had one of the only surviving medallions, apparently. Casey says that, you know, she's like, I guess that we know why Sadusky gave her that clue now. Billy says that this changes everything. Then without doing anything, Casey's, she just looks at her phone. She's like, the only black tie event I could find is at the governor's ball. So she somehow, I don't remember her typing anything in, but she, maybe someone else found this, but somehow she automatically knows what's, what's going on. And then Billy's like, of course, Lewis and Clark. <laughs> so Billy knows everything. And I'm just like, oh man. So she goes through all the pieces. She knows about the journals, the governor getting shot, being ruled as a a suicide, as a cover-up. One of only few known journals about his dog. But Casey's like, she's looking some stuff up. Guess what kind of dog it was? So I guess Billy doesn't know everything because she didn't know what kind of dog it was. And, but she's like, it was a Newfoundland, which is part of the clues or whatever. Billy says, Jess is a clever girl. Just like her father, and Casey's like, looks like we're going to that ball. Oh, who's that? The ex, the expert Taylor is Orin, so he's, um, Jess is waiting in the other room. Orin's, you know, doing some stuff. Then he comes out, introducing him a fashion show, blah blah blah, so like that. Liam comes out. He just has the pants on and like the, the the jacket with no shirt underneath, and I'm I'm assuming Jess is like admiring his his chest or whatever like that. And then stupid Ethan comes in. What's going on here? He's with Mina. And Liam Like starts buttoning up his jacket. And Oren's like, oh, they're going to the ball. Ethan's like, wait, who was? Uh, then Jess is like, it was Oren's shoe. Because he's like, you know who's the mole? Ethan says that, he's like, well, my mom just got you one ticket. And she's like, yeah, but Liam got two. So now we have an extra. Mina's like, I have an idea. It's like, I'll buy a ticket and then we can go too. Double date, the biggest batch in Baton Rouge. And Ethan's like, yeah, fun. So the Dr. Zeke medical examiner dude, he meets Agent Ross at her office. And he's like, you were right. The English you killed Sadusky. So he asks if she has any suspects. And if, then she starts like giving out information. I don't think she should be saying anything. She's like, well, the grandson initially because he inherited the house, but he's the loner musician type. And Ross says, then there's the grandson's girlfriend because she was the last one to see him alive. And Zeke's like, yeah, the last person to see a victim alive is always a prime suspect. And then she's like, except that she admitted that to Ross when she came in to report a kidnapping. And he's like, who was kidnapped? And she's like, I don't know. It's like, she wouldn't tell me. Then she gets an idea. She's like, I owe you one. And he's like, coffee he's like i like anything with nitro in it and she's like deal so she looks up uss kid on her phone she calls him she's requests security footage so she's gonna see that jess was there and she's gonna see billy and maybe get on the, on the path of looking her up tasha asks jess if she has a plan and jess says go in look at the journal take some pictures and tasha's like isn't it under lock and key this is part this, this is the other part to bug me this is why so many things in this episode but jess is like it's a digital lock and so it's like how would she know that because it wasn't on display when she went there she didn't even go into the other room so it's like how would she know that it's it's a digital lock and she's like and i was hoping you could find a factory reset on it and tasha calmly says if you know to make and model so it's that easy so, so then Tasha's like, Well, what about security cameras? And then just puts on some sunglasses. Like, in the the governor values his privacy. So it's like, I whatever. oren comes in to pick up his baby, his shoe, and Natasha hands him hands it over to him and he's like, You cut the soul out? He's like, I was gonna wear it tonight to the ball. And she's like, What? What are you talking about? He's like, Well, I begged Ethan to get me a ticket. He's like, I figure a lot of big wigs will be there. So he's like, I can pitch my sneaker business to people with money. So he's like, Ethan got us a table. He's like, we're all going. He's like, even you, Tasha. And she's like, she gets excited. She's like, I got to go do my hair. And then Jess says that, you know, she pulls Tasha aside. She's like, I got to prove my mom was right. She's like, I can't risk anything going wrong. She's like, the party's going to be crawling with politicians. So then, then Tasha says that, you know, she, she can be like, like rein herself in and at, at a p- p- political fundraiser. Cause so she basically hates politicians, which I don't know if we really picked up on that before, but she basically said she'll behave. And she's like, I promise. And then she's like, and if Billy shows up, you'll need me. It's like, okay, what is she going to do? They arrive at the mansion. The doorman's like, Oh, excuse me. Gentlemen are required to wear a tie. And Liam, because Liam's not wearing a tie. Orange's like, what'd you do with the tie I gave you? He's like, the clip broke. And he's like, well, what if I just buttoned it up? And dude's like, well, you're already pushing it with the blue tux. So, like, what's he going to do? He's going to say, oh, yeah, you can't go into this fundraiser even though you paid $500 for it. Then I'd be like, okay, give me my $500 back. Is he authorized to do that? Then Jess gets an idea. Tears off, like, a ribbon from her dress or whatever like that. And she ties a tie. It almost looks like, like a tie. Like, perfect. So it looks so bad, and dude just like grumpily nods, (laughs) and they they go in there. Ethan and Mina are already inside. He gives Oren like a list of things that he can't say or do tonight, and he says that, he's like, I expressly came here to say and do all of these things. Liam says that he heard from the band that this is actually, (laughs) so he's got like this band connection hotline or something like that. He, he, this is actually a surprise birthday party for the governor. And they're bringing out a, a cake and champagne into works at 6.15. So Jess wants to make sure that the book is there before the cake. So she wants to go up there to go in the room. There's already a lot of people in there. And she's like, what kind of nerds come looking for her book? And he's like, well, us. So Jess says that she'll keep a watch for the guards when everyone clears. Tasha showed Liam how to reset the lock so he can um, take the pictures. Tasha's like kind of biting her tongue at all the expensive stuff and and like the the banquet you know with all the food and everything. Oren has like a plate full of food and he's like you know he's like we got in for free. He's like everyone else paid to kiss the governor's butt so by eating you're actually sticking it to the man. And he's like with every crab leg you eat. She's like yeah I guess you're right. Jess and me and are talking. Jess said that uh, she heard that they're official now. And Mina's like, "It's like, yeah, I really like Ethan." just like, "Oh, he likes you too." He even went golfing with you. And she's like, "What? He doesn't like golf?" Um, she's like, "Oh, uh, yeah." And she's like, "Mina's like, does he feel like he can't be himself around me?" And he's just like, "No, oh, no, no. He's he's just trying to impress you." So Jess shouldn't say anything. Oren talks to this one guy. He's give, actually gives this pitch to this one guy. And it turns out he's like the richest guy in the room or whatever about his sneaker deal. You know, he talks about limited quantities and freshness and with the artist and this, whatever. The guy hands him a card and he's like, email me your business proposal. And then so Oren is like excited about that. A song starts playing, Bad Romance, I think, by Lady Gaga. And Oren's like, oh, this song, I can't believe this is playing, you know, whatever. And because apparently Jess and Ethan did a routine for like a talent show or something like that in middle school. And then they brought it back during prom. So he's like, it's a sign. And Jess is like, the cake is coming out in less than 10 minutes. And, so, and then I think Liam's like, yeah, but the song is only a couple of minutes or something like that. So they go to the dance floor and he's like, well, it's been like five years. And she's like, I don't even think I remember the steps. But they know it, of course. They start doing this whole dance routine like that. Liam doesn't look too happy even though he was like pushing her to he's like oh I gotta see this and he's he's like glaring with jealousy then Mina starts looking uncomfortable she starts getting jealous and because there's like one point where her leg goes like straight up to like his shoulder or whatever and he kind of runs his leg hand on her it's like they did this in middle school (laughs) so then uh, Tasha asks Orange she's like uh is this a good idea it's like do you remember how you know do you remember what happened at prom and then um then suddenly Liam's gone and Mina's like very upset and then Mina like is gone too like when the song's over so Ethan sees Mina he goes after her because she goes out like onto a terrace, and she tells um, Ethan that that was quite the dance and he's like it was just a silly dance we learned in middle school and she's like there's nothing silly about how you were looking at her and he's like we're just friends and she's like you clearly wish it was more than that and he's like, no, he's like, I truly like you. And she's like, and I truly want to believe you, but you have to be sure, you know, who you're with, who you really want to be with. And she like leaves and she's like all sad and teary. Jess is looking around. She can't find Liam. Um, she tries texting him. He doesn't answer. So she tries calling him because it's, it's almost time for the, the birthday for the cake. She leaves this long rambling message, whatever. And then she hears the happy birthday start up. So she rushes up upstairs and she sees Liam rush out of the out of room and he has a journal in his hand. So she goes to go after him and then she notices that the, the book's not in the case. The security guard happens to come in. He's like, you, freeze. So he must automatically think she stole it even though there's nothing in her hands and she clearly has no pockets in her dress or anything like that. And and the, also the fact that she's a paying guest there, you know, as far as he knows, so she goes through that door. She closes the door, wedges her high heel under the door, and she's like trying to catch up with with Liam. He calls for backup. He's like, "There's a burglar in, in progress." He's like, you know, purple dress and dark hair and you know whatever. So, so Jess texts Tasha about what that Liam took the book, and she needs a diversion. They need diversion to get out of there. The governor's like thanking everyone for the cake and everything like that. So Tasha gets up on this on this stage and she's like, shame on y'all's fat wallet. And she goes on about how much the food costs there and then senior citizens, you know, not having money and whatever else like that. And then he's like, oh, youth activism, you know, like I encourage that. And hopefully I'll convince you to vote for me. And Jess runs out and the police are coming, there's sirens, everything like that. And here's the thing, if she gets busted, she's deported. You know, that's the whole thing they, they keep talking about. So she's running around barefoot. She's just, the police coming down. She runs across the street like so super obvious, and then she's running down you know the, the sidewalk barefoot. This sports car pulls up, like dark car. It's Billy, and she's op- you know she opens the door or the window. She's like get in. So she gets in. carp peels away. So, what does this mean? You know, so yeah, Billy's going to get her out of there. Hopefully, because obviously, you know, Billy's not just going to turn her over because she wants whatever information she may have. But uh, just doesn't have any information because Liam has the book, unless she's going to quote unquote kidnap her in exchange for whatever Liam finds in the book or whatever. So it's just crazy that Liam stole the book and everything. And I don't know, but I mean, I do like the show. It's just. This seems like this episode really pushed the line on some things, like borderline, like being a, uh, just a little ridiculous. But I am still intrigued with where this is all going to go, so we'll see. Okay, then Doom Patrol, Season 4, Episode 6, Hope Patrol. So I'm, I'm getting a little concerned because we're getting close to the end of the season, and I have a feeling like this is going to be the last season because I don't know if Warner Brothers is going to want to renew it because they're kind of being poo-poo heads about certain things. And, you know, I don't know if this fault shouldn't affect, like, James Gunn and what's-his-name's 10-year plan because it's, it's not continuity. But anyways, so Jane wakes up in the back of Cliff's car, and like in a garage. He's, like, working the engine. And she's like, I just had weird dream. She's like, we were all there. It's like, Willoughby was there. And there was this fudge, you know, and then I was a, a fudging baby and Cliff's like, oh, that was all real. He's like, the parties, the pool, getting turned into baby. She's like, you're a fussy little stinker too. And he's like, I was worried that you are going to be stuck like that. And then she's like, so Willoughby reversed the spell and Cliff says, well, it looks like he reversed it a little extra for you. And she looks into like the mirror and she sees that her hair is, has a lot of gray in it and she like gasps. And she's like, then there was an evil bunny it took my longevity and so that means Immortus is about to wipe their butt with their reality or something like that she said and he's like or she asks like where is everyone He's like they have to get their longevity back she's like we have to stop this and he's like well I can't he's like I'm in the middle of putting this one part in the car and she like pounds on the car and she's like this is code effing red and then she's like oh she's like oh my chest hurts or whatever and he's like oh that's just acid reflux she's like welcome to middle age And she's like, Well, what if I'm dying? And he says that she wouldn't be the first one or the only one. And he says, You know, sorry for leaving her when he did. But when his brain went all goo goo gaga, he drove into a ditch. But then when he turned back to normal, he went right back for her. And he's like, And there she was, a little baby crying outside the pool center all alone. And, um, but which is weird because the way the episode ended, Bunbury was like, by her and those other dudes, the knights, whatever, they're there. so they just left her there. She's still flipping out. he talks about dealing like with his Parkinson's, facing death, whatever. So he's like you know someone who's been staring at death in the face for a while, he's like, I figured out, you know, y- y- you have to figure out what's left to do and use every second that you have left to do it. He's like, this poop won't stop and wait for you." And she's like, you know what? Fine. She's like, fudge you too and she leaves. So Cliff's still working on the engine. Then he hears like this high-pitched voice. What's wrong with you, Pop Pop? And he's like, ah, he screams. And he looks at the oven mitt and his hand's like moving. at The the, the face that he drew on It's supposed to be Rory. And his hand's like, relax, it's just me, Rory. Vic is being driven by Derek. And it's like they're very, uh, seems, it's kind of awkward. He's He's like, I'm a little short on cash, but... When I get some, I'll, I'll pay back for gas. He's like, and I'll mail you back your your clothes once I, I wash them. And Derek's calmly is like, he's like, you can keep clothes, Vic. And Vic's like, I know this isn't how you want to spend your Saturday either. And Derek's like, it's fine. He's like, but I got to ask, of all the places on earth that you could have hit out, why my place? Wild Wayne, way in Detroit? And Vic's like, uh, it was a weird night, even for us. He's like, it's not every day you get hit by a youth spell. And Derek's like, transmutation magic, huh? He's like, that's some... Level nine sorcery poop. Was it level nine, level 10, level something? And Vic's like, just another day in the life of a superhero. She's like, okay, whatever, you're cool. Jane goes to the underground and, you know, she's, 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 she's you know, I'll a few people around and she's like, I need to see Kay. And, it, you know, no one's like really acknowledging her. She's like, look at my hair. She's like, things are fudge. I need to make sure she's safe. And then she asks pretty Polly, she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, Kay gave everyone, you know, a puzzle and Jane's like so you're just going to sit there and fudge off while the grim reaper slobbers down her neck and Polly's like it's what the girl wants and Jane's like yeah so did trauma and the other's like pretty Polly stands up and it's like take that back and she's like you know that they're not the same and Jane's, Jane says well if Kay thinks I'm going to spend my last days on earth doing a fudging puzzle she's even crazier than I am and she storms out of there Rouge goes back to the bench where she was sitting with Rita. She has a couple of coffees. Rita was like sleeping there. She wakes up, like some rude bones crack or whatever. And she's like, Do we sleep here all night? And Rouge's like, Well, evidently they turned into babies before the bus came. And either they were too small for the bus driver to see them, or the human race really is lacking any common decency. But whatever the case, at least it seems that the spell reversed itself. So Rita asks if there was another bus coming because she'd like to go back home. But Rouge is like, what about what we talked about last night? She's like, the mission. Rita's like, I'm afraid that was the virility of youth speaking. She's like, I just want to lay down and maybe make some peanut brittle. Rouge is like, oh, fudge your peanut brittle. (laughs) She's like, that's not the Rita I know. She's like, get that coffee down you and we'll get your longevity back and save the universe in the process. She's like, I've been thinking. Willoughby said that all this was tied to the Calder Immortus Project. She's like, I suspect someone in a bureau picked up where Calder left off. So you know, they must have found what he couldn't. They found a way to actually conjure this immortus. So if they're going to stop this, they're going to have to go back where it all began. Rita's kind of like shocked uh, that after everything, that Rouge wants to go back to the Bureau. And Rouge says that their friends are in danger and that they're heroes. Rita pauses and she's like, ugh, fine. And Rouge is like, smashing. Now, how do we get in? And Rita's like, why are you asking me? And Rouge is like, because you're the leader. And Rita's like, oh, don't patronize me. He's like, we know where I stand with the team. And Rouge says that her promotion was simply what was needed for one particular task. And it was a shite task at that. And she's like, and if I'm honest, it's like, I'd rather be in a supporting role. There's less pressure. So then there's some place called Orc with, O-R-Q with. Larry is being moved. There's a couple like dudes like just all black, like, you know, no detail. Like, kind of like black body suits, um, they have these like giant, big, huge scissors like around his neck, like ready to, to snip. And he's like, he's like, what the heck is going on? He's like, where are you taking me? Then he whispers a key. He's like, oh, this might be a good time to you know blast these guys into oblivion. Rama runs up from behind him. He's like, release him. And uh, the dudes slowly turn. Rama's like, he's my target. He's like, I'll take him to the sacrarium myself. They just ignore him. Then he runs in front of him, raises his hands. He changes the scissors somehow. And like, I don't know if it like freezes the dudes or whatever. So Larry's able to just like kind of duck out of there. Then Rama's like, we need to cut a hole back to earth. He's like, we're in a pocket dimension called Orkwith. So somehow he knows all this. He's like, those are the scissor men. They're powerful, but mindless custodians. And he imagines that the others sent them because they felt that he was taking too long. And Larry's like, too long to what? He's like, to bring you here and extract your longevity. He's like, that's the only thing that matters to them. Larry says, he's like, you have to tell me exactly what Immortus is. And Rama's like, Immortus is hope. He's like, look, each of us had some desperate wish that we'd all but given up on. And then Immortus found us. He showed each of us a vision of the possibility that lied before us. He called upon us to usher him onto this plane when he arrives, he will rewrite history and make sure our wishes come true. Larry's like, do you mean like a genie? He's like, that that sounds just like a genie. And Rama's like, everyone has a wish, even you. And he's like, perhaps, you know, you could be never to be separated by Keeg. And Keeg kind of lights up in his chest. And Larry's like, how do you even know that Mortis has power? And Rama's like, well, the, you know, with the temple nearby, the entire thing rose from the earth when Dr. Janus deposited Rita's longevity. And Larry's like, I probably shouldn't have to tell you this, but when a bone temple spontaneously sprouts from the ground, it's not usually a good sign. like, says that they all have to put their faith in something. And Larry asks, he's like, why did you rescue me? And Rama's like, because hurting people wasn't part of the plan. It's like in their zeal, the others have forgotten that. Rama says that, you know, Larry said that he would help him find a way to control his, you know, molecule, whatever stuff. And Larry's like, yeah, after we stopped Immortus, We'll find a way. He's like, You have my word. And Rama's like, Well, oh, I have faith in you that, that you, know, you, you'll, you will be able to do that. So then he cuts the door away with his hands. Rory, the oven mitt, asks Cliff oh, what, about what Willoughby said. You know, more just sounded like real bad news because you know, he already hurt Rita and Jane. So who's next? And Cliff's like, Well, you shut up. He's like, I'm not taking advice from the manifestation of my diseased brain. So he's he's like, I'm doing all this for you anyway, so the car will be for you. And Rory's like, he's like, you're not fooling anyone. He's like, if you really cared about me, you'd be on a bus to Florida right now. He's like, all you're doing is is burying your fear in something that you think you can control. And he tells Cliff that his daddy used to do that too. Cliff's like, that's completely different. He's like, unlike him, I know I'm a bad person. He's like, and I don't have enough time to fix myself, but I do have enough time to fix this car. So he wants to show that he can create something beautiful. Rory tells him that he wants to show him something. So they go in the other room, and Rory says that he risks his life to save this little guy. He's like, Is that something a bad guy would do? He's like, Well, it is a zombie, but so it's like in his freezer. And he's like, In hindsight, maybe saving it wasn't the best idea. <laughs> he's like, Get it? Hindsight, because it's a zombie, but Rory's like, says, The point is, despite all his mistakes, he is a good person. And then, uh, then the green doorway like opens up. He's like, What the? Shelley is making a cake in her sweets shop and then Jane walks in and Shelley's surprised to see her. You know, she's like, I didn't think I'd see you again or whatever. And she's like, oh and then she's like, Oh, I love what you do with your hair. And she's like, What sort of mischief have have you been getting up to? Jane says that she's been doing a lot of thinking about her, and Shelley's like, I've been thinking about you too. So Jane says that she decided she should go after what she wants, and you know, she's wanted this for a long time. So she leans over to kiss Shelley, but then like she can't and then she's like what's wrong with me and she's like she's like it's okay whatever you know and jane's like no it's not and she's like you just you don't understand and then shelly's like i it, it, no, it's fine she's like but you know maybe it is time you get some help and jane's like no she's like i don't have time for that and she's like and why does everything have to be such a battle and she, you know she's just going on about stuff so then she she leaves so then she goes back to her room and she looks like a huge pile of puzzle pieces then she grabs a bunch and she's like i'm not ready to die so, Larry's walking through the green portal and then Cliff's like, how'd you do that? And then he sees Rama he's like, what is he doing here? He's like, please don't tell me we're, we're adopting another super villain. And Larry's like, I trust him. And Cliff's like, wait, you know, they're talking about some stuff. Then he's like, wait, am I detecting some sexual tension? And Rama's like, uh, we haven't crossed that bridge yet. And Cliff's like, yet? So he's like, you know, they're, he's there to help them stop Immortus and Cliff's like, oh, not this again. And is like, you're in danger too. He's like the agents of Immortus still need um, Cliff and Jane's longevity and they will stop at nothing to get it. Cliff's like, well, they already got Janes. So, so then that means Larry and Cliff are the last two pieces. Larry says that they'll have to stop this because if Immortus rises um, and then but then Keek, Keek pops out of him, does this little loop, he shoves Larry back through the portal. and then Rama's is like he tries jumping in, but then he comes into contact with Keek. And like something happens, there's like the shockwave shockwaves slamming, flying back into the wall, not sure what happened to Rama, and then Keek flies through to the, the portal. At the, the ant farm, the government, you know, whatever building, um, Rouge and Rita sneak in, so she's disguised as a craggy old janitor, and Rita's like a, she's in a mop bucket of dirty water or whatever. So there's a couple agents in the elevator. Rita grabs an an agent's badge so they can access the records department floor. They look through the, you know, the mortis project files. There's an empty spot. So there's a, a checkout card there on the shelf, which is not where it would go, but it was last checked out January thirteenth, nineteen fifty-five, checked out by asset three four seven seven one. And when she when Rouge reads that, it's almost like she recognizes the number because she puts it back. She's like, okay, that was a dead end. She's like, um, let's go back. And Rita's like, we're in the middle of a mission. And she's like, oh, no, no. She's like, well, nothing can be done. She's like, maybe we should send someone else. This is more something for Vic or, or Jane. And Rita's like, wait, she's like, talk to me. She's like, what's wrong? And Rouge is like, it's Wally, Wally Sage. And there's a flashback. I don't remember who exactly Wally was, but uh, we see... Uh, Rouge stamps him as a weapon and then um, Rita like peels someone's mask off and I think it was him. Uh, I don't know if he's dead or if he's not dead. Rouge says it all started here with Wally, Uh, you know, it's like Malcolm's death, Rita losing her longevity, Immortus rising, Uh, Rouge put him here so it's all happening because of her. And Rita's like, it's not your fault, you can't control. And Rouge is like, how can this not be my fault? She's like, I doomed him and countless others to this hell. Now her past is returned to exact penance. And Rita's like, no. She's like, you're not going to crack on me now. She's like, we're going to stop this even if it means confronting our past. And Rouge is like, but you know me. She's like, I hate confronting my past. And Rita says, well, I'm the leader and that means that you have to do what I say even if it means going to Wally's cell. And Rouge is like, okay. Vic and Derek arrive at the mansion they they go and they see like the shimmery portal in the kitchen and Cliff's like still like laying against the wall like recovering, and he says that it took Larry and Vic kind of like shoves Derek away. He's like, get away from that. He's like, it's, you know, this is kind of dangerous superhero poop that I was talking about. And then Vic sticks his hand through there. And he's like, oh, it looks like some kind of magical realm, which I don't know how he could tell that. Then he's like, if Larry's in trouble, he's like, I have to go in and help him. He's like, it's kind of my job. And Derek's like, Vic. You're not a superhero. And Vic's like, go home. He's like, I'll Venmo you that gas money. And he goes through the portal. Derek's just like sitting there, you know, Cliff's still on the floor. Derek grabs a knife from a butcher's block and he jumps through. And Cliff's like, oh, for fudge sake, that was our only good knife. Then uh, when uh, Derek goes through, Vic like hears him, like turns around. He's like, I told you to go home. And then uh, before they can do anything, the portal shuts up. He's like, what the hell are you doing here, man? He's like, told you this was some, and then they both finished, superhero poop. And Derek's like, he's like, I know, but you left before I could remind you that you ain't a superhero anymore. He's like, matter of fact, less than 12 hours ago, I was changing your diaper in case you forgot. And Vic's like, I didn't forget. and I'd appreciate it if you never brought that up again. So then he tells Derek, he's like, "Just, just stay close. And Derek starts looking at this one flower. He's like, he's like, don't touch anything. Rouge and Rita are back. As a janitor, mop up, mop bucket disguise. They go um, inside this cell. It's a mess. It's so, like all these paper drawings, you know, stuff taped to the walls, um, written all on the walls. Like "Enter the Kingdom of Orcwith" is like written on across all the papers, like big letters. Uh, on the other walls, like "Written Immortus will rise." There's lots of drawings. They're looking around. They kind of split up. And Rita gasps because she sees a. I don't know if it was a. I thought it was a drawing of Malcolm with like a surprised look on his face, but maybe it was it was actually Billy, because then a voice is like, I recognize you. So there's this other cell in the back, which seems weird, because there's like you know a, like a window with, with bars on there, and there's like a man like peeking out, and Rouge is like, Wally? So I don't remember what happened to Wally. Derek asked Vic if he was just going to pout the whole time since things didn't go away. He's like, same old Vic. And Vic's like, it's not like that. And Derek's like... You know, why am I getting a silent treatment then? Vic snaps, he's like, because I'm scared, man. He's like, you've got a whole family. He's like, I don't know if I can protect you here. Derek's like, well, who's protecting you? And Vic's like, that's different. He's like, I signed up for this. He's like, not really, but he did. Derek's like, he's like, why'd you come to my house last night? And Vic's like, I told you. And Derek's like, no. I was like, I'll tell you why. It's because you know I got you. He's like, no matter what. He's like, you really think I'm? It's gonna change because you went AWOL for a few years. He's like, please, man. Vic's like, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm, so, you know, I'm sorry. I never tried to meet you halfway. And Derek's like, it's like, no, no. He's like, I'm sorry. You know. He's like, I never should have put all that blame on you. And Vic's like, I, I just wish we could go back in time. And he's like, you know, deep down, that's the, uh, the real reason that, you know, he came back. And Derek's like, is that why you got rid of your tech too? But then Vic doesn't really answer that. He's like, we should probably keep moving. Um, then in a little bit, Derek's like, "The kids in my robotics club—they flipped when I said that me and and Cyborg were boys back in the day." He's like, "That poops inspiring. Inspires you know my kids every day." He's like, "Inspires me," and Vic looks at him. He's like, "I really appreciate you saying that, D." And Derek's like, "The point is, no matter how far you drift, you'll always be connected to where you're, we came from." He's like, "At the end of the day, you'll always be one of us. Detroiticons for life." And then they do this special handshake thing and they laugh. Jane's lying in her bed, like under the covers, knocking the door. And she's like, fudge off. And Cliff's like, do you want to go, you know, fudge up those Immortus jerks? And she doesn't say anything. He's like, can I come in? And Jane quietly is like, whatever. Cliff's like, I guess I owe you an apology. He's like, I got sucked straight up my own butt. He's like, I forgot what matters. Then she's like, what's that exactly? And he's like, you're really going to make me say it? She sits up in bed and looks at him. He's like, he groans. He's like, "Ah." He's like, what matters is being there for the people I love. He's like, there, I said it. Happy? And Jane's like, I don't know if I deserve to be loved. Cliff gets closer, kneels next to the bed. Um, He starts ripping the tape off his oven mitt. He pulls off the oven mitt, holds his, his special hand out. He's like, I hate to break it to you, but if people want to love you, there really isn't anything you can do to stop them. She puts her hand in his, and then he like closes it. He's like, and this was, you know, he's saving that for his, his grandson. And he's like, do you want to go fudge those mortis chumps up or what? And she smiles. She's like, you bet your copper-plated ass. But then they hear like a thud, like a yell, like a groan from out in the hall. They go out there. They see a bloody and beaten Willoughby. And Cliff's like, what happened to you? Uh, he's like, they found us. They got Bunbury. And Jane's like, oh, you mean the bunny who stole my longevity? Willoughby's like, he was on our side. He was one of the Knights Templar. We were trying to protect your longevity from the agents of Immortus." He's like, we didn't stand a chance. He's like, I've never seen such power. And he's like, Cliff, we have to get you to safety. He's like, if they get your longevity, that's it. It's all over. And Jane's like, why the fudge would we ever trust you again? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Were you the one that reversed the youth spell? He's like, no. So look, these fudgers got stronger or they get stronger with every ounce of longevity they get from you twats. They made the most powerful wizards in the known universe look like a bunch of prepubescent pixies. Then he like opens his hand. There's like a bloody rabbit's foot. He's like, this is all that's left of the little pebble dropper. And Jane's like, all right, well, how do we stop them? And Willoughby's like, you're not paying attention. This isn't some threat you can just punch into submission. And she's like, yeah, well everything you're saying just makes me want to kick their asses even more. And she's like, Cliff, He's like, right on, sister. So they turn and start going down the hall. Willoughby looks at the foot and he shouts, "He's like, Godspeed, you irascible fudge wits Derek thinks that they've made it to the end, and Vic grabs him because he sees like the scissors people. And Vic's like, you know, whoever they are, he's like, we got to get past them to get inside. And he's like, <laughs> Derek's like, you want to go inside Castle Grayskull? And Vic's like, well, that's probably where Larry is. And then there's this like flower next to them, like on a tree. And Derek's like, hey, look at this flower. It's like, it's made of actual newsprint. He's like, no way it could have evolved like this. And he's like, you remember when we used to play DD at Calvin's? And Vic's like, you mean the pettiest dungeon master ever? He's like, exactly. He's like, eventually we realized that to complete our mission, we had to play Calvin against himself. And Vic's like, we gamed the system. So Derek's like, everything in a D&D campaign exists because the DM put it in there. He's like, everything has a purpose. Then in the center of the flower, there's a. He pulls out a pen. He and he's like, Eureka! He's like, What if this whole place was created by someone? There's got to be a reason that they have you know pen and paper everywhere. And he's like, And you said this place was magic, right? So he draws like a butterfly on a paper, and then it comes to life like through a cloud of green smoke. And Derek's like, I think I know how we can get past those scissor guys. Rouge is trying to open the, the door like because she like changed her finger into a key. Rita's like, we we can just question him from out here. And Rouge is like, we have to get him out of here. He's like, he suffered enough. And Rita's like, he suffered? Then to the door, she's like, just tell us, where is Orquith? What is Orquith? He's like, what, you know, is, is that where Immortus rises? She's like, answer me. Wally finally says, it's where all ideas are born and all bad ideas die. And Rita's like, she's like, is Immortus there? It's like, how do we stop this? And then she's like, we have to go. And Rouge is like, we can't just leave him. He's like, we have to try. And Wally's like, it's too late. Immortus rises. And Rouge, she finally gets the door unlocked. And then Wally's just sitting on the floor. And he's like, so much pain. It will all be over soon. And Rouge says that they didn't come to hurt him. So she's like, please come. And then he stands. Rita gasps for some reason. And Wally's like, you already hurt me. He's like, every new beginning must start with an ending. And then Rita's face starts like drooping and then she turns into like a big puddle of glue. Rouge turns into a bird like flies off off the floor and then Rita just flows like across all the floor and like towards like the little room where Wally's at, he just like screams. Meanwhile, Larry's brought into room by the scissors guys. Larry asks "He, he's like, why'd you bring me back here? He's like, they're gonna take away my longevity. And then there's like some hooded guys who are like mumbling, mumbling something. Then Larry tries talking to Keeg. He glows and then it cuts to the future. Zombie butts are walking down the hall at the mansion. They start to take over Larry and tear at his bandage. Like they rip him off off his hand. It's like glowing. Then he yells at Keeg to help him. There's a bright light. Then he's floating above the earth. And he's like, sorry, my radiation is leaking. He's like, I don't know what else to do, but I guess you do. And then they just like head to the sun. And Larry's like that's what future keeg showed you he's like you think you have to destroy me to save the world but you don't have to worry about that he's like we stopped the butt apocalypse and we'll stop whatever comes next just like we stopped the brain the the decorator mr nobody then he's like it never ends does it you're afraid it's inevitable you think immortus can keep us together forever and then larry starts like glowing purple and he's like okay they can have my longevity he's like i trust you keeg and then purple energy starts going like through these tubes into like this big cage. Derek's like drawing stuff. Um, then they're, they're making parts of a can. He's like, oh, there should be like a laser or for the robot. He's like, there should be a laser can in here and stuff like that. You know, Vic's drawing some stuff too. So they put all the pieces of paper together and then it starts swirling. And then the robot's there. And Vic's like, booyah. So it's like, Mr. Invincible Online, all systems go, awaiting orders. So it's like the robot that they designed before. And Vic tells Derek, she's like, you should do the honors. So Derek's like, go take out those scissor guys. Mission accepted. So they're like, oh, you, I think Vic's like, we used to dream of this. And he's like, we did this. And so they made that robot. Rita reforms, and Rouge asks her, he's like, what happened? And Rita's like, "What? what did I do? Where is he? And Rouge pulls like a couple of sheets of paper off Rita's back. There's pictures of Malcolm screaming. And Rita's like, what happened to Wally? And Rouge says that, she's like, I'm afraid that. And Rita's like, I smooshed him? And Rouge's like, we don't know that for sure. He could have escaped somehow. Rita's like, no, I know, I killed him. So I don't, I don't understand what happened there or why she freaked out and did that. This alarm goes off. Intruders are detected Mr. Invincible approaches the scissor guys. He tells them to put down their weapons. Five seconds to comply. Then Cliff and Jane are somehow there too. I have no idea how they got in because the portal closed and they don't explain how they got there. So he's like, like, oh, I always wanted to say that. And he has like this metal can on his hand and she's like, what's up with the keg or whatever? And he says that his special hand is for loving only. (laughs) And, And she's like, ew. But Cliff says that, He's like, you know, which one is is our side? And she's like, well, my money's on the bot. He's outnumbered, and he has a huge stick of his butt. So he's kind of like a kindred spirit. His cannon um, fires up, but then paper just flutters around. And Klo's like, WTF? And then we see Vic and Derek have, like, giant scissors around their necks. So some guys came up to him from behind. Big doors open at the castle thing. The, The three mumbling dudes walk out on the top of the stairs. This middle one steps forward. Pulls his hood off. Then the scissors snap open around Cliff and Jane's neck. So they're like forced forward. And Cliff says that, you know, he's like, he's like, oh, we got this. He's like, they're just a bunch of Tim Burton rejects. He's like, they're not like a horde of rabid zombie butts. Then Rory starts calling out, pop, pop. And Cliff's like, it's not a good time. And Rory's like, did you remember to close the freezer all the way? And he's like, what? And Jane's like, who the heck are you talking to? And Cliff's like, oh, fudge. And in back home the freezer was left opened and the frozen zombie butt that cliff saved starts to like thaw out comes out of the freezer and it like jumps straight at the camera so is the zombie butt gonna take over the world or is it gonna somehow go through whatever portal that's not open and go there after those guys and eat immortus i don't know what's going on but i love the show Okay, and now the movie feature is White Noise. Uh, so, like I said before, we will probably do Megan next week. So, White Noise is a Netflix movie. It's uh, directed by Noah Baumbach, who also did did a was it marriage story divorce the the other movie with with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson which was such a powerful movie so this movie has Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig um, Don Cheadle's in there and also I think Andre 3000 is also in this this is um this based off a book and this is uh I, I don't not even sure how to describe this this is such a such a weird movie um, so I will say the, the Rotten Tomato score, not that it matters, whatever, but the, the critic score is at a 62% and the audience score is at a 34%. So usually it's it, it always seems like it's, it's kind of flipped. It's like it's rarely do they um, tend to, to, to line up. But um, if it means anything, uh, it is a, this is a 824 movie i guess i didn't realize that at first until like the end credits where I, I saw it on there so it's it's part of the production company and um it's just it's a. Uh, i don't really know it's it's almost like it's three different movies so uh it's it starts off I'll, I'll just go into some of it and i, I won't spoil the whole thing obviously but it, it's it starts off with this guy murray don cheadle he's talking about like car it, this is like such a weird opening he's talking about like car crashes and movies like to a, a class at a, like a college class and you know he's like watch any car crash in American movie you know it's high spirited moment and he's like and he says like you know you look past the violence and there's like innocence and fun so I don't know if he's talking about just like this spectacular the production like knowing that it's not real I don't know it was kind of weird so then then it says like part one or something or number one waves and radiation so the college is called College on the Hill, and I guess school's over because the parents are picking kids up. You know, there's like all these station wagons coming and everything like that. Um, Jack, Adam Driver, he he goes home. So he's a teacher there. He tells his wife Babette or Baba, um, Greta Gerwig, he's like, "Oh, you should have been there. It was the day of the station wagons." And she's like, "Oh, I missed it." She's like, "You need, you know, I need to be reminded. You should have let me know." And then he he talks about how it was like 1968 when he first started. Um, this Nazi course, this Hitler. I was like, wait, what? What's he teaching? Um, he witnesses, you know, this day for 16 years now. So I think it's that means it's 1984 or something like that. They have four kids. It's like chaos in the house almost. And there's like all these kids. Um, and then the, the mom, uh, Baba Babette, she kind of secretly takes some prescription pill. And the the older daughter, um, Denise, she like sees her. And and uh, Bobette kind of like tosses a puts the, the trash in like the trash compactor like kind of buries it, and then Denise takes the trash out. She looks at it and it it's it's a plain label, but it, it doesn't look like a real prescription label. But it's a prescription bottle. It just says Dilar. So I actually when I saw that I googled Dylar. It's like is this real? It, it's not a real drug. Um, Bobette tells Jack in bed later, you know, life is good. They, uh, you know, she just felt like it should be said. And then she says that she wants to die first. You know, life would would feel unbearably sad and lonely without him, especially if the children were grown and living elsewhere. And he's like, well, what if I want to go first? So there's this, this like, theme about, like, death. Like, you know, they're, they're like, afraid of death. So, yeah, so Jack, he then time must go by. It must be like the fall or something like that. There is like no real transition because he, he teaches this Hitler study, um, advanced Nazism. And, and uh, you know, he's paying some dude to take like German lessons. And, you know, he's trying to keep, keep it hush hush because, you know, it would be bad if people knew he didn't actually speak German because he, he even requires like his students to take like a minimum of one year of it. And then there's also, like, this Nazi conference coming to the college, like, in March or something like that. And, you know, there's going to be scholars from all over Germany will be there. I don't understand what, what that's about. Oh, so then he's at the grocery store, and he runs into Murray. So then here we find out that he has kids from his first and third wife. So the his old the oldest son is Heinrich, and then there's a younger girl named Steffi. Babette has a daughter, Denise from husband number two and then they have this little kid Wilder who's probably like six maybe or something like that eight or five. Um, he's from both of them and he says that they're each other fourths um, spouses. so they've both been married four times. <laughs> so again, he has kids he has a son and a daughter from his first and a third marriage. she has a daughter from her second marriage. So then later, Jack talks to the younger girl, Steffi, about trying to get along with Denise. Um, Steffi mentions that she's like, all she does is just read that that medical journal all day, all the time, like that. And then she's like, well, the reason she is, she's trying to find out the side effects of the drug that Bob Ed's taking. And Jack's like, wait, what? Is, what is she taking? Steffi's so like, I don't know. You have to ask Denise. So he doesn't even know about this this drug that she's taking. He tries talking to her later, and uh, you know, she mentions just casual how you know she's always forgetting things and. And you know, she said. then he's like, he's like, well, are you forgetting like a pill that you're taking? She's like, I'm not taking anything. So she's like totally denying that she's taking any, any medication. So Baba leaves, because I think she does like some sort of yoga classes or some, something like that. So Denise talks to Jack, she's like, what are we gonna do? And she mentions that she's taking Dylar, and it's like one every three days. And he's like, well, what's your book say? And she's like, well, that's just it, it's not in there. And he's like, well, maybe it's under a different name. Then then this is where it's like Jack wakes up in the middle of the night. Uh, Baba isn't next to him. And then he like looks. There's like some dude sitting in a chair by the window. Because, you know, you just see like his shadow. And then he gets up, walks to the bathroom that's like off, you know, closer to him. And you hear him like urinate. Then he comes. He sits on the bed. And, you know, we don't see his face at all. And he gets under the covers. And Jack's like confused. He's like, what the heck is going on? And then uh, the the face kind of presses through the sheets, but then it's just like a dream. And then like Jack had the sheets over his face, and he's like. <sighs> so at first I was like, does he has like some sort of sleep apnea? It's like what what's going on here? Then um, the the kind of the kicker of this first part, you see this guy driving this chemical truck, and he's like reaching for this bottle that's on the floor. He's like swerving and stuff like that. This other weird, just such a weird scene. It's a very cool the way it's shot, and everything, like the whole cinematography and just the layout, whatever. So uh, Murray's in this class. It's, it's not like your typical classroom. It's like this smaller classroom with like seats on, on both sides. Somebody's like filming him. So he's doing a class on Elvis, like in his mother. Then Jack just walks in, starts talking about like Hitler and his mom. Like he interrupts, they start going back and forth, just like boom, 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 like talking about Hitler and his mom and this and Elvis' and mom and this, like just back and forth. And I just don't know what, what happened. And then they, they end up kind of like cheering Jack. So I think he like won this debate. I don't even know what that was about. Cause then later, I guess Murray's trying to get a a class going kind of like how Jack has. So I don't know if he's trying to get this Elvis class on the same level. So at the same time during this this uh, debate, whatever you want to call this, the, there's this train running down the track uh, and it has like all these like tanker uh, train cars, whatever. The truck ends up smashing into the train because the dude's like not looking, you know, he's looking for his bottle and he hits the side. He doesn't hit the first one. he hits like maybe like the, the, the third or fourth car or whatever, but it still knocks it off the rails the train is still coming. So the other ones keep like, tush, tush, tush. then the, the, the truck gets like kind of sandwiches, you know, whatever's in the, the truck is like some flammable liquid. It gets like sandwiched between, cause there's just like the, the train cars are like crisscrossing and they're just like piling up, whatever and you see this like red liquid in the truck and then boom, big explosion. And then these hazmat guys arrive. And that's like the first part. And then part two is the airborne toxic event. So now it kind it of kind of feels like a different type of movie because, like, while they're having dinner, sirens go off and this fire captain drives by telling, oh, because, like, before um, Heinrich, he's, like, uh, looking out the window at, at the smoke in the distance and, like, binoculars and stuff like that. But then uh, there's supposed to be a cloud of deadly chemicals, so everyone's supposed to evacuate. So they, they all rush to get in a car or whatever like that, and the roads are jammed. But then like as they're driving, the radio's like, if you're indoors, stay indoors, whatever. If you're out, you know, find shelter immediately. And then there's like, this car drives on a side, and like, it ends up getting in a car accident. like It flips over and smashes into this other car. And, and then while they're in the car, Bob takes another pill, and then um, Jack tries calling her on it. She's like, she's like oh, that, that was just a lightsaber. And he's like, and you didn't suck it at all or whatever? And he's like, what did you swallow before that? She's like, oh, that was just spit. They had, they're they like low on gas. So they, they take an exit. They get to a gas station. There's like no one there. The doors are open to the gas station. He starts pumping. It's like that. And you see, I think it was like a shell oil sign in the gas station. So you see as he's pumping, like it's a cool, a cool shot and everything like that. There's like kind of black smoke. smoke Going in front of the sign, so whether it's just clouds or is it just deadly, whatever stuff. So it's like the jack just to get exposed. There's more driving, and then um, there's like thunder. You see this big, huge cloud. There's like red, black, you know, smoke and lights and stuff like that. They end up going to this like campground for shelter and stuff like that. And then, then in the morning, it's like chaos. It's like evacuate. Everyone's like taking off. It's just crazy. They get to this other place, and it, there's a quarantine there, and there's like more stuff going on. And then the, the third parts so I, I kind of skipped over a little bit. The third part is dialerama. So then it's like dealing with what the heck is this dialer stuff, and because then eventually it's like after a while, after they were, I think it was like nine days they're in quarantine, they were allowed to to go back home, and you know things are kind of back to normal, but they're not, and it's, but there's still a question: Did Jack get exposed? And what is this dialer stuff? And so it's it's just such a weird movie. Um, and then you find out, like, like, you do find out, like, what the drug's supposed to be and why she's taking it, why she's being secretive about it and everything like that. And and then, like, you know, what does Jack decide to do about it? And so all this stuff plays out, and things kind of get resolved or whatever like that. But then the end, they're at the grocery store, you know, during the credits, and there's, like, this weird, it's, like, obviously not part of the movie because it's, it's almost like this dance sequence, but not like a, like a disco dance, it's like, kind of, like, slow dance like just minimal movement like back and forth and it's just it's so weird and what the other weird thing is usually you watch anything on netflix it's like boom they try cutting you they try pushing the next show right away because usually like you have to like watch credits or it'll it gives you like one of the recommend if it's just a movie it usually has like two or three recommended things that are somewhat similar or you have to like physically click the button to continue watching the credits You didn't have to do this the whole time. It it didn't even it it played out the whole credits, which was was interesting. So um, I don't know what I thought about the movie. It was just so weird because, like I said, it was it was like three different movies. Um, I I liked the the kids. The kids were great. Um, I I really the the oldest daughter. I think she was in Tomorrowland uh, or something like that. You know that that George Clooney movie. But it was just. I, I don't really know what this – like, what was the point of this movie is <laughs> a good question. It's just so weird because it's, you know, you got – it's like his college, his family movie, or whatever, and then it's like a, a quarantine, you know, apocalypse movie, and then it's like the third one, which I won't go into specifics, like what happens there. It, it's 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 weird. Um, I, I do think it's, it's worth – Checking out, you know, it is a. I think it's like two hours and, and something, but you know, Adam Driver is great, and Greta Gerwig. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen her. I, I, I think isn't she a director? I thought she's directing bar- the Barbie movie, so I don't know if is she is an actress too. I don't know, but everything it was just re- really good, and Don Cheadle was, was good in the role. You know, it's always fun to see him like doing different things, and and just like some of the other teachers at the college are all just just. They're all like not necessarily I don't know what necessarily know if I want to say they're all characters, but it's just just very, very interesting. So I, I think I think it's worth checking out. So that's on uh, Netflix. And um, with that, so that's gonna be it for this week. So again, apologies for I, I you know, try to do the best to get this show going. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They're big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash Heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast every single week. And uh, last week I did an Off My Mind about Mary Jane and Spider-Man, so you can hear about that. And this week I think I'm going to do a comic. Um, I might. I think I'm going to – I was. I was thinking of going back to Hawkeye – But I might go with some X-Men, sort of. And I was like, maybe I should do Spider-Man, but I think I'm going to go with X-Men, so you can hear about that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash G-Man from Heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is K-O-F-I.com slash G-Man from Heck. So, yeah, so as I was saying, you know, death in the family, and, uh, it's, it's been a tough week. Um, this, I, I know it's like, why are you still doing a podcast? You know, but it is a distraction and, you know, and I, I there's a commitment, you know, I, I do want to keep it going. Just, it, it does like when I'm in the middle of talking about all these different things, my mind is completely distracted. So, so thank you for, for that. I hope you are doing So like, like yeah, next week I'll probably do Megan. Um, and then the other shows, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're safe. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. You know, life is precious. Um, don't, just don't forget that. Don't, don't take it for granted. Just remember, be good to each other.